Over the half of minor league players create a union in order to win lawsuit of higher pay. So uh, the minor league players are now uh, creating and forming a union. I'm not surprised. As well as I believe college football players will do the same Mm -hmm. moving forward. And it's going to open up a lot of can. Well, it's going to open up a lot of worms and it's also going to hurt. Uh, a lot of these uh, leagues, uh, obviously the minor leagues and obviously college. So we're going to tell you that 930. We'll be talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Titans writer and reporter John Glenn, and he'll be joining us. So there you go. So why don't we get into I guess we'll go into football because it seems like it's the big story as the football season is around the corner. It's about to start this week. So we'll get into Robert Sala. Now, I have been watching a tremendous amount of of podcasts around the country as far as Jets Nation is concerned, as far as Chris Sims, I watch his podcast. Very interesting. And I know a lot of people sitting here, shout out to Nathan as well. I know a lot of people sit here today and they're they're wondering, why are the Jets bringing back Zach Wilson as fast as they are? And there could be many different reasons why this came out. And Robert Sala is not no idiot. This is a guy that knows what it is to throw people off, throw coaches off. Because when you're planning to play against a quarterback that week, you're studying the quarterback. You're studying what he does inside and outside of the pocket, who you're going to play, what kind of speed you're going to have at the quarterback position. Are you going to have to rush the, t- the DBs? Are you going to have to bring up the safeties? Are you going to use the linebackers in the open field? There's a lot of different things and a lot of different styles you're going to have to understand when it comes to schemes, depending on the quarterback that's playing under center. So Robert Soller yesterday came out and they said, they asked him, when do you think Zach's going to come back? And he said, he could be back in week one. Does that mean that Zach Wilson is playing in game one? No, it does not. And I'm telling you right now, expect Zach Wilson not to play game one. I believe it's going to be Joe Flacco, game one, and Zach, game two. No matter what happens. Unless Joe Flacco lights the, the scoreboard on fire and scores 40 and wins a game in, in, in MetLife Stadium, you will see Zach Wilson in game number two. But I know Jet fans are sitting here today, and I, I watched all the different shows. I listen to all the different analysts that are Jet fans say, why is Robert Sella saying that? Why is he Why is he informing the press that Zach Wilson could play in game number one? Why would you throw him under the gun when you're playing a top defense like the Baltimore Ravens in game number one? And the answer is, he's just being a head coach. There is no guarantees whatever comes out of Robert Sala's mouth is true. Robert Sala thought Makai Becton was going to be healthy after he hurt his knee at practice. Then it came out that it was worse than what he thought it was. Then it came out that he's out for the season. That came from Robert Sala. Now, Robert Tyler was right about Zach Wilson. He thought that the ACL was intact. He was right. It wasn't as bad as it was thought. But there is no guarantees that Zach Wilson's playing on Sunday. And I'm telling you right now, 
make it, I would say it's 80 to 80 20. He's not. The Jets are not going to put their franchise quarterback at risk to hurt his knee for the season. When you hurt your meniscus, you weaken your ACL, your MCL, and practically all the ligaments in your knee. He's probably going to wear a knee brace. More than likely for the season. Something he's not used to. And you could see it might give him problems in the first couple of games. We saw that with Ben Roethlisberger when he hurt his knee. I will say this. I know, you know, everybody's trying to find a story to talk about with the New York Jets. And why these stories come out. Why does Robert Sala open his mouth and say something like that? Because nobody knows the truth. And I don't even think Robert Sala knows if Zach Wilson's going to be ready for Sunday. The guy hasn't practiced on the field for the last couple of weeks. He's thrown a couple of balls. I heard he was at practice just throwing the ball. But he's not, he's not practicing with the team. You're not going to throw a cold quarterback in an NFL game against one of the better defenses, one of the better teams in the AFC. You're not going to do that. That's, a, that's, that's room for disaster right there. What I believe Robert Soller is doing is making sure that he is throwing John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens a curveball. Because going into Sunday, you're studying Joe Flacco. But now, after Robert Sala did that at the press conference, you're also studying, and you're going to have to study, Zach Wilson. So that puts and creates more pressure on the coaching staff to figure out who's going to play on Sunday and what they know about each quarterback. Now, they know Joe Flacco because he was over there. He won a Super Bowl with John Harbaugh. He won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. So they know him very well. But they don't know Zach Wilson. And that's why Robert Sala did that. I'm willing to throw, I'm willing to put $100 on the line that Zach Wilson will not start on Sunday. He's not. He's not going to step on the football field. You'll see him before the game. He'll be throwing a football around like with Joe Flacco. And he's laughing with the players. And then you're going to hear the press talk about, I... It's game-time decision. It's not a game-time decision. It's not. There's no way Robert Sala is putting that kid out to to put him at risk to lose him for the season. Because you cannot go into the, the, the game two, game three, game four, knowing that you're going to have Joe Flacco for the rest of the season. Because Zach Wilson still believes that he can run the same way he did before he hurt his knee. His knee. Every quarterback, every young quarterback still thinks that they could do the same thing. Zach Wilson is going to have to learn how to protect that knee throughout this season. Because you put yourself in high risk to re-injure that knee and make it even worse. And he's still young. He's t- I think he just turned 21 or 22. He's still a kid. He still believes... That he can do what he did in BYU in the NFL. He can't. He's going to have to figure the game out and make sure that the game slows in front of him. And I don't know if he's ready to do that. 
as we saw in the Philadelphia game when he threw an interception in his first two plays of the game. So I, I, I'm pretty much guaranteeing you that Robert Sala just threw that out there just for Jet fans or even the other teams and analysts to talk about it as a story. It is not going to be a story. Expect Joe Flacco speedy behind center for the New York Jets. As long as you don't manipulate the injury reports where it looks like you're faking the injury like we saw the Patriots do in the past. I think Seattle was another team that got caught for that. There's nothing wrong with trying to send smoke screens like that. And I think that's exactly what Robert Sala was doing it in order for have to get some, I guess, form of trickery towards a loaded Ravens defense. Now, the Ravens have a new defensive coordinator in Mike McDonald who came over from Michigan, so he never was an NFL def- uh, coordinator, NFL assistant coach. So that's going to be something that maybe Robert Sala is trying to get a coaching edge on because John Harbaugh is pretty established. He knows every trick in the book. Greg Roman, pretty established as an offensive coordinator, never was a head coach, but offensive coordinator for over a decade now. So that's going to be a coaching edge that they're going to look to have with that and why not try to do it on the defensive side which is Salah's specialty try to throw off a Ravens defense that is loaded especially in the secondary and it's going to be a big test for those Jets wide receivers when the Ravens secondary is fully healthy so I think it's merely that I don't think Jets fans should be overreacting to this kind of thing and saying all right there's hope for Zach Wilson to play in week one because he's even if he did play he was going to be limited anyway and you don't want that for I don't think a lot of Jet fans want to see Zach Wilson on the field in game one Right. But for those of those that did, I don't think there's a reason to put him out there when he's limited as it is because you want to see him be able to play to his abilities, big arm strength, throwing on the run ability, rollout type thing. This is a heavy motion offense. You're going to have a lot more designed rollouts too. And a leg injury is not something you want to have. Meniscus injury, bone bruise all-in-one to be able to do that against that tough of a defense. So, yeah, don't buy into that if you do want Zach Wilson to play because I'm with you. I think it's just a form of manipulation at this point to be able to throw off the Ravens because the Jets are at home. I mean, supposedly they could steal it. Who knows? But still, it's going to be very hard as it is. The Ravens, I would imagine, probably have a 67% chance to win the game. But Robert Sala is doing what smart coaches do, taking that analytic step to try to be able to throw them off and game planning, and that's a good thing. Well, that's that's the thing when it comes to football and, and game planning. And you know when it comes to coaches, all coaches are trying to figure out a way where you have one step up from the other coach. That's what – in any sport, even in basketball, hockey, even baseball, there is a way that you can predominantly have the advantage in every single game. It, by who's pitching? Who are you going to bring in against what batter in baseball? In hockey – what goaltender are you going to play? I mean, which which goaltender plays better at home than he does it away? Or or some of the players, depending on the teams and, and the lines that they're matched up against. It's all game planning. And I think that has a lot to do. Football is all about game planning. Everything about football is game planning, understanding the team that you're playing against, understanding the defense that you're playing against as an offense, and understanding an offense – uh, of, of its ability. Are they a running team? Are they, uh, are they stacked with wide receivers? As we talk about the Rams, maybe Odell Beckham going back with the Rams. Now you have uh, Allen Robinson and Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then the, the tight ends that they have over there. So, I, I mean, it, it all matters on the weapons and how you style your game against that particular team. And also schematic edges in terms of getting 
a new offense going because Michael Fleur, we saw him last year when Zach Wilson was healthy in the first half of the season. They had to dumb down the offense in certain games because of his interception and turnover issues. And you don't want that kind of thing right away against a top defense. Zach Wilson was much more efficient in the second half off the injury because he was able to be much smarter with the football. Now, the preseason game against the Eagles, that interception definitely concerning. And that's something he's going to have to turn around. But he's not going to be able to do that on a limited base thing because he's going to be playing against a tough defense off an injury that's going to be very hard to come back for. People were saying at the time of the injury, obviously after the season before they knew about it, it wasn't a torn ACL, but even after that, it was supposed to be thought of as a four to six week injury too. So him coming back and even getting to this point is a lot further than expected as it is. So I don't know if I'm Robert, uh, if, if you want to be able to push it any further. And I think Robert Sala is doing the right thing in order to make that happen because the Jets need an edge schematically in this particular game with the, the offensive weapons that they have now too. And they can play so many different combinations now. They were just kind of a wide receiver team last year with Carter as a breakout in the second half the way he was. Now they could be a running team, a tight end team. And you don't want the Ravens knowing what they're doing especially with a new defensive coordinator. That's the strength the Jets have going into this season, is they have so many new players, defensively and offensively. The Ravens know about, because they played against them, either for the one of them was C.J. Osuma, who played in the same division as them with the Cincinnati Bengals. Now you're playing with the Jets. How are they going to use him? And, and they played against Conklin, but he was on Minnesota with, obviously, um, a different quarterback. So how are they going to schematically use him in the offense that is going to benefit the New York Jets? And then the wide receivers. They have a lot of young wide receivers on this team. you never seen Garrett Wilson, so how good is he going to be in his first game? Elijah Moore, I don't even think the, the Baltimore Ravens seen him yet. No. So a lot of these guys are young. They know Corey Davis, but... You don't know how the Jets are going to use them in schematic form on the field. So does this benefit the Jets going into game number one? Maybe with Joe Flacco? They know Joe Flacco, but what they do know about Joe Flacco could be the weakness going into the game against Joe Flacco because everybody knows Joe Flacco is a pocket quarterback and he could get the ball to the wide receivers. We saw him do that with Bolden. We've seen him do this year in and year out when he was over there with the Baltimore Ravens. Now he's playing for the Jets, a different team. But how about the offensive line, the, the, built, uh, the built, new built, uh, freshly built offensive line that they added in the offseason? Dwayne Brown, who is a pro ball uh, tackle, who played very well in his final game while well, he's – his first game as a Jet with the Giants, I know it's a preseason game, but against their ones, he played very well. And then you have Lincoln Tomlinson, another Pro Bowl player, adding these pieces to that offensive line, which was one of the worst in the league, which could go into the top 10 this year. Yeah. Some people say it could be a top 10 offensive line with some of the acquisitions that they made in the offseason. That shows you how much better the Jets could be this year. That doesn't mean that they're going to win. That doesn't mean that they're going to go into the game against the Baltimore Ravens and shock the world and knock Lamar Jackson and a high-flying offense with J.K. Dobbins and all the different players they have this year, which they were completely weak last year with injury. For the Ravens, no Corey Davis. Well, he caught the touchdown pass in their playoff game thrown by Derrick Henry. Uh, ben says, hashtag ban the beeve. Uh, Michael Laramore says, Danny Ainge is an angry little man. Mm-hmm. Snuck says, hashtag ban pig Mike. I love Danny Ainge. He's so grouchy. It's delightful. The key is to draft a kicker in the first round and a defense in the second round. I guess at the same point you could draft a quarterback, but who cares? My, my cousin actually did that in our family league to start trolling everybody. Uh, Snuck says, OBJ to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, Nathan says, what's up? Keep up the great work. 
Snug says, where was Robert Sala seen dining this week? Hey, it's the Beav Cousins. Hooray, Nithin. Uh, speaking of, Nithin says, speaking of the Jets, we have Connie Carberg, who was the first uh, female scout in NFL that, history, yep. coming on the show tomorrow. Uh, Snug says, who was the first to join AARP, Joe Flacco or Matt Ryan? I guess we'll see this season. Uh, in a surprise move, Zach Wilson is starting at left tackle. Nobody could game plan for that. <laughs> Snug says, oh, I love a good Jets disaster. Nithin says, I, thought, I think Joe Flacco will start week one he as will. well. Yep. Yeah, I believe that too. Uh, do you think Harbaugh would use his wife as a lure to get the Jets game plan out of Zach? Maybe. Robert Sala is also in charge of Jets counterintelligence. Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback ever that everybody still thought was a bum. It's a fascinating dynamic. And then the beef comes in with Beef is dead. <laughs> He's been saying that for the last couple of weeks. He calls himself Big Mike now. It is oh. the beef and always will be the beef in my heart. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, he doesn't want to be called the beef anymore, unfortunately. But uh, it's, it's what makes him who he is. I mean, seriously, how could you talk about Mike, a.k.a. Mike from Bayshore, if you weren't calling him the beef? Maybe we'll start calling him Shrek again. No, the beef is a good <laughs> No, the beef's the best. No question. I mean, I don't know why he hates that name. I mean, who's ever seen Leave it to Beaver? I mean, he reminds me of the beef from the beaver. That's how he got the name. I mean, he's a mama's boy. He loves his mom. No question. What did the beef, you know, what was the beef like in Leave it to Beaver? He was a mama's boy. So it, that's not, there's nothing bad. There's nothing bad about that name, beef. Nothing. Nothing. But anyways, um, going back into, you know, some of the things with the, the NFL going into the season this year. There's a lot of different things that will stand out. And a lot of the teams, the power of the AFC, and I I think the AFC is going to be a fun conference to watch. One of the reasons why is there is no weaknesses in, in any of the conferences. I'm not a mama's boy. Yes, you are. Every time I bring up your mom, Beef, as a joke, you always say I'm going to kill you. That's a mama's boy because you know I'm just kidding and you still get angry about it. Anyways, but I I don't want to talk about that. We're 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 in the sports right now. Let's not let's not go off subject and talk about something that doesn't have any meaning towards this, the 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 stuff that we're talking about. But there there's a lot of interesting stories coming out of this season. There really is. And one of the big stories is is the power of the AFC from the NFC, something that it really hasn't been over the years. The last time the AFC had this much uh, star power in in that conference was probably 15, 20 years ago. I would say 05, something like that was probably it, the it, last one. It hasn't been a powerful conference. And you talk about the AFC North and the AFC East and the AFC West. It, it's it's in the AFC South even, which is probably the weakest division in all of football besides the NFC East. So, I, I mean, when you look at all the teams, all the powerhouse teams, and remember, how many teams make the playoffs, Speedy? Seven. Seven teams. That means there could be two or three teams that have a 10-win record or a 9-win record, had a very good season that aren't going to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's crazy because I have seen with the extra wild card over the last, what, year? Uh, Nine last year was an eight win team that made it, didn't it? Chicago made it the first year as an eight and eight team, and then last year the Eagles were nine and eight. Nine and eight. seventeen game season. The Eagles were nine and eight. Uh, the Raiders, I think, no, the Raiders were ten and seven. Um, there is no nine and eight team that's going to make the playoffs in the AFC. There is none. 
Yeah, that would there is not very hard. Most of those teams, those teams that are going to make the playoffs, are either going to win ten or eleven games, and the best team's probably going to win thirteen or fourteen. It, it, it's a powerhouse conference. But we even saw last year too, where it was you had the top team was. 13 and 4 like there was or oh no the Packers were 14 and 3 but the AFC the Titans were the number one seed at 12 and 5 and the Chiefs were also 12 and 5 like there was even going to be a lot more closer parity and I think you could even still see that again this year too because the divisions are going to keep beating each other up in a way too especially the AFC West which always has a lot of division splits probably outside of the Chiefs and then the AFC North which they tend to either have they'll extreme sweep one season and sweep the next season or just a lot of tough intense rivalries especially with the Steelers and the Ravens and also the Steelers and the Bengals too but now you're seeing it where those teams are all good all at once too especially the Bengals and the Ravens and the AFC AFC North and look at how many close games were in the AFC West last year too even when even the Broncos that weren't that good beat the Raiders or beat the Raiders and, and spoiled the Chargers at the end of the season I, I think when you when you look at each and every division especially in the AFC and we're going to go over it on Thursday and our thoughts to where these records would be and listen everybody's looking at the preseason look the Jets are three and oh they had a great preseason that don't mean nothing. It doesn't mean nothing. Look, the Steelers were three and zero, and everybody's talking about Pickens not looking that good on the field in in the games that he was playing. So, and and nobody thinks Pickens, Kenny Pickens, is going to play this year mm-hmm. unless Mitchell Chubisky gets hurt. Right, he's listed right now as the number two quarterback, but this is kind of the thought of as a red. And, and by the here. way, Mitchell Chubisky and Pickens didn't look good. Well, who's the third string goal? Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph was what everybody keeps talking about that should win the number one job. And he was the guy that was predicted to be the number one guy after Ben Roethlisberger left right. and retired. But they decided to go after Kenny Pickens, a Pittsburgh native who played for Pitt, and they, they've practiced and, and had the opportunity to watch him for the last couple of years. And, and, and all the power to him. I think Kenny Pickens could be a very good quarterback in the NFL. It's going to take him a little while. And, and that's the difference when you look at the big picture and you look at the, the conference of the AFC, the conferences of the AFC, and the divisions from, from top to bottom. I mean, there is no, there's no guarantees with any of these teams. Everybody keeps talking about how good Buffalo is going to be this year, how good the Ravens are going to be because they actually have a running game and they're actually healthy this year. We don't know if they're going to stay healthy. We don't even know if J.K. JK Dobbins is going to be the same player he was before he got hurt. Pretty much the only guarantee is the Texans to stink in the AFC. Everything else is, could be well, many no different no guarantees directions. either because yeah. they were 3-0 in the preseason too, like everybody's been talking about. <laughs> and again, so were the 0-16 Lions. They were 4-0 <laughs> in the preseason, everybody. There was one thing we do know. The Jaguars were 0-4 in the preseason. They looked oh, yeah. just as bad as they did last year. And, so. as, and as always, the Ravens are 3-0 in the preseason. Except their preseason win streak Are you reading some of these different writers and, and predictions thinking that the Jaguars, some people think that the Jaguars are going to be the surprise Girard of the said it last week, so he thinks and, that. And, he th- and a lot of them think that the Jaguars could sneak into the playoffs. I don't know what they're smoking. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I watched these guys play two preseason games, and with their first strings, their offensive line's horrible. Trevor Lawrence looks like he deer with the headlights. I don't know what do they call that deer with a, deer in the headlights, deer in the headlights, or whatever that whatever the saying is. He looks like he's scared every time he's he's calling a play in the pocket. And and by the way, that division is one of the worst divisions in football. I mean, the Titans. Are we expecting 
Tannehill without any wide receivers to throw to this year to really stand out. I, <laughs> I mean, we, have, we have a guest I'm that can sorry. tell us out in a bit. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. They got Trey Burks. Traylon Burks. I, uh, yes. Yep. A guy that uh, everybody thinks is the next A.J. Brown. The same A.J. Brown that they decided to trade away to Philadelphia for practically nothing. Okay? A first-round draft pick, there's no, there's no guarantees that that is going to be anything. Uh, before we get our Titans guest on, uh, Snug says, I don't know about seeing hard knocks. I think the Lions have a, a chance for another perfect season in reverse. I always love it. When- you know that's why I said that, because I know John's coming on. <laughs> uh, uh, poking the bear over there. Snug says, I always love it where teams have a losing record, get in for winning their division when the 10-game winner sits home and watches. Is Nathan the Eddie Haskell the Mike being the Beef? And the Beef comments, 7-10, and 10, I guess, for the Jaguars. Well, I will say this. The Titans are going to have a better record than the Jets. <laughs> I I don't as a Jet fan for all the Jet fans out there I know what they want this to be a season that's going to transition into the next season where a lot of people believe if Zach Wilson's the real deal the Jets could be the real deal next year with the, with the talent that they have on this roster the young roster that they have I will hope that the Jets win six games this year if they win any more than six games that's a winning season to me as a Jet fan for anybody that thinks. That nine wins is, is going to be more than uh, more than realistic than six or seven. You guys are smoking, okay? Because I I just think that the schedule that the Jets have, especially playing the North in the first what four games, you're playing the Ravens first, then I think you're playing Cincinnati second, right? Cleveland second, Cleveland then second, Cincinnati. then Cincinnati, then the Steelers. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the Ravens could make the playoffs. The Bra- the Browns, if they had Deshaun Watson, couldn't make the playoffs. Couldn't make the playoffs if they had, if they had their quarterback. The Bengals are probably going to make the playoffs, and the Steelers had one of the best defenses in the league last year. And now they added, I don't know, Jack Miles, Jack, and some of the players that they added. Could and, get Devin Bush healthy. Yeah. Yes, and Devin Bush is one hundred percent healthy for the first time in two years. So <laughs> this defense is going to be a lot better. So. There's no guarantees that the Jets will win one of these games in the first four games of the season. When we come back, we'll be talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Titans writer and reporter John Glennon here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. Six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have one guest on the show, which is unique for our show. We usually have two or three on the show every single every time we have a show on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but we have one, and why not have a very Elusive, crazy, funny guess. We <laughs> she's looking at me right you now. Said you got me. <laughs> we are talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Titans writer and reporter John Glenn. John, what's going on, bud? Uh, not a lot. How are you guys tonight? Well, we're better. I mean, football season's right here. I mean, that's that's a football week. Everybody's excited uh, for their teams. Uh, it's a new season. Every team is zero and zero. So uh, hopefully. Uh, this is a better season for the New York teams. I doubt it. I mean, uh, the the New York Giants are rebuilding, and the Jets look like they have a good young team, but that doesn't 
mean anything because the Jets have had a good young team for the last 20 years, and they haven't won anything. So, uh, But how are you feeling? How's everything going with you and your family? We are doing well here. I appreciate that. Uh, like you say, we're, uh, I'm happy to put the uh, little training camp behind us. Get ready for the uh, for the real deal here, and we're uh, we're planning on welcoming welcoming your uh, your boys from New York, the Giants, well, here on Sunday. Well, I am I'm not a Giant fan, but uh, Speedy is, so uh, right. you could talk about uh, you know the Giants uh, dunking and flunking on Sunday. Why don't we go into the season? And what did you see uh, really this off season? Obviously OTAs, practices, and obviously the preseason. What stood out to you the most? so far on what you see about the Titans? Well, you know, I mean, you can't gloss over the fact that the uh, the biggest move for the Titans was the loss of, of a very significant player, and that's A.J. Brown, obviously. You know, 2,000-yard seasons in his first three, Pro Bowl guy, and, uh, you know, clearly a, a primary cog on this offense, and he's no longer there. Uh, and as you guys referenced, you know, the idea is that first-round draft pick Traylon Burks has some similarities mm-hmm. to A.J. Brown, uh, similar traits, and that, that maybe eventually, you know, he is basically A.J. Brown. But I don't see that happening right away. You know, uh, Traylon Burks did not have the best of off-seasons, missed a lot of time with conditioning issues, with asthma issues and so forth, and some nagging injuries. So it kind of remains to be seen what we get out of Traylon Burks and how long it'll take him to get up to speed. And that kind of, maybe that kind of symbolizes sort of what this, this team is dealing with overall. You know, I, I think it's going to be a solid, a good defense. Uh, you know, maybe obviously not quite as good now that Harold Landry has been lost for the season with an ACL, but nonetheless, I think defense is going to have to carry this team because I still think there are some major question marks uh, on the offense uh, you know, and that's even with the return of Derrick Henry. So I want to go to Traylon Burks because he's actually one of the more unique big bodied receivers prospect wise because he was used a lot in the slot last year with Arkansas was used a lot in the role that we normally see some more faster agility type receivers use out of the backfield. Do you see the Titans using him in that kind of role to bring that kind of modern dimension to that offense, especially now with Derrick Henry uh, off the injury now to maybe not wanting to wear him out? Yeah, a little bit, probably, you know, but they, they used him primarily on the on the outside, uh, you know, in, in the offseason and in training camp. And I think that's a little bit of an adjustment, too, for Traylon Burks. As you mentioned, it is kind of unusual. You know, this is a guy who's about 6'2 and 230 pounds or 6'3, 230. Um, and he did, I think, about 75% or 80% of his snaps last year at Arkansas were in the slot. And basically, you know, a lot of times they just threw the ball to him, got a couple blockers in front of him, let him run for about 10 or 15 yards, which is a pretty good play. But uh, I think the Titans want him outside. The Titans also drafted uh, Kyle Phillips, uh, you know, who's uh, looks has got the makings of a really good slot receiver. So I think he'll be getting a lot of the inside work. Uh, I think Burks will be outside a lot. And, and again, I, I think that's a learning curve for him. You know, most wide receivers, you look back at A.J. Brown, that was a much more pass-ready kind of offense uh, that he came from in college, and that's why he kind of stepped right in and had success right away. I think it'll be a little little steeper learning curve for Traylon Burks. We are talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Titans writer and reporter John Glennon. John, we're talking about the wide receivers and the depth of the wide receiving core that we have seen over the years, especially before last year even started. They brought in Julio Jones. They had A.J. Brown. They had Derrick Henry. They had a high-flying offense, great offensive line. Even they they lost an offensive lineman in Conklin uh, to the Cleveland Browns. But 
all in all, everybody thought that this offense was going to be high-flying. Last year, they had problems. They did offensively. Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown wasn't 100% healthy. Julio, we, we knew Julio Jones wasn't going to stay healthy. He didn't stay healthy all season last year. Julio Jones now, Jones now plays for Tampa. A.J. is playing for Philadelphia. Derrick Henry is the, the lone soul on that team and he can, he was coming off for a major injury he missed a, a lot of the second half of the season came back very surprised he came back the way he did and and that shows you how tough Derrick Henry is going into the season even in the fantasy drafts he was in the top three last year now he's he's in a top seven he fell all the way down from the top three and it made no sense because I think he's still the most elusive and probably the the biggest powerhouse running back in all of the NFL. Why has he fallen? And does everybody think that this year could be even bigger for Derrick Henry than any of the any of the running backs that we've seen over the last couple of years? Probably the reasons uh, that that he may have dropped are, are probably two. One, he's not a young back. You know, he's he's moving gradually towards towards that thirty year mark. Um, and you know, he is coming off that foot injury. We saw him come back in the playoff game. Um, you know, he was he was okay, but but obviously weren't expecting too much there. But there's still that question of, you know, is he going to be coming back the same Derrick Henry after a broken foot as as we knew him before? You know, certainly in training camp, for what that's worth, you know, he looked he looked apart. Um, but you just don't know. You're just not quite as sure when a guy is coming back from injury. And then I think the the second reason too, uh, you know, when when you look at the Titans' receiving core. There's not a lot of home run threats, uh, not a lot of speed threats out there right now. That That's for sure. Uh, so you're going to see some pretty crowded uh, defensive boxes going up against Derrick Henry. Not that that's a change of pace necessarily, but at least in the past you had A.J. Brown, not, not a speed merchant, but a guy who could get deep from time to time, scare offenses a little bit. Uh, and now you're, you're kind of wondering who that guy is that's going to scare offenses, who's going to back that extra safety off to, to give Derrick Henry a little bit more running room. And if they can't find one, you know, that that's going to clog things up even more for Derrick Henry. So that might be the other reason that you see Derrick Henry slipping just a little bit. But if, if there's anything to be said about what a guy looks like and a guy looks like going through training camp practices, Derrick Henry is, is is back. I'll say that. AJ Brown trade. What did you think about their decision to go forward with it? Because we've seen a lot of wide receiver contacts really spike this offseason with Christian Kirk getting overpaid by Jacksonville, and Amari Cooper getting overpaid by Dallas in years past, the Saints with Michael Thomas. And a lot of them have not worked out for those particular teams. So, But also at the same time, you need wide receivers a lot more than we ever saw before to win championships. So what are your thoughts to the decision behind it? I was surprised, you know, shocked, I guess, just like, like most people. The main reason for my surprise is that that to me, the Titans are still kind of in that win now window. You know, you've got Derrick Henry there. You know, you've, you've got a good defense. Uh, you know, you, you won the division. You were the number one seed in the AFC last year, even though they, they lost in the first round of the playoffs. So to me, it, it was a move that kind of said, okay, we're, we're, we're looking more towards the future a little bit there because obviously you're giving up a, a young Pro Bowl guy. Um, you know, and, and you got, you know, the, the return actually, you know, I, I think given up AJ Brown and the number 26, you get Traylon Burks who, who may turn out to be an excellent receiver. You've got a starting corner already in Roger McCreary, uh, who you drafted a starting right tackle in Nicholas Pedrera, Kyle Phillips is probably going to be your starting slot guy. So the hall was, was decent. And the fact that you're going to be saving a ton of cap money that you would have been paying AJ Brown, obviously. Um, so I, I can understand it because I think, 
you know, I, I think the Titans reached a point where they just thought that A.J. Brown's demands were just too exorbitant and they just weren't going to be able to cross that bridge. Uh, so they stuck to their principles. Now the question is, what does that get them? Uh, you know, does it hurt them, uh, a team that's in win-now mode? Um, you know, or, or can they make up for it with some of the additions they had in the offseason? John, Ryan Tannehill's trial could be over after this year. Okay, and I, I mean, a trial having him this long, a quarterback that I always thought was overrated, uh, they didn't have to overpay him when they, they, they extended his contract, which I thought was very good for the team because it gave them options over the last couple of years. But you have a young, guy, a young kid like Malik Willis, who a lot of people like going into the draft. Uh, he fell out of the first round, and I thought that was an absolute grab by Tennessee. And then over the preseason and, and practices, Tannehill opened his mouth to the press and uh, they asked him, uh, have you helped the kid um, figure things out? And he says, that's not my job. That's, I'm not the coach. I'm playing against him. I'm, I'm playing for the same job he's playing for. What are your thoughts to what Tannehill said? And I know you were probably there at the press conference. The way he, you reacted to what he said and the way Malik Willis reacted when he heard that, that interview after the fact. Yeah, it was it was a real eye opener for me um, because you know Ryan Tannehill had kind of been a you know basically a model citizen uh, you know in, in his time with the Titans so far, and as I recall, the question itself didn't even uh, address what the, the word mentor was never brought up. I don't think in the question itself or question of like you know what's the what's the quarterback room going to be like you know with you guys competing and so forth, and I, I thought it was odd that that Ryan Tannehill almost kind of went out of his way and in, in my opinion just to use the word mentor and say I'm not going to be mentoring him you know as you said you know we're, we're competing yada 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 and immediately I think if Ryan Tannehill could reeled those words in I, I think he would have done that because uh, it almost came down you know in, in follow-up sessions with Ryan Tannehill it, it almost came down to almost a different definition that he has of mentor than maybe a lot of us have to me, a mentor is more or less a veteran helping a younger guy. You know, uh, not not the uh, not the anything huge about that. To him, you know, he talked about, look, I've I've been helped by hundreds of people, but I've only had a few mentors, you know, in in my life, and and kind of you know a, a deeper relationship and so forth. So maybe that's what the issue was. Maybe there was a definition of mentor that kind of went astray. Odd thing to say, and and I, you know, it was easy to see it was going to blow up, uh, you know, as soon as he mentioned it. So, but since then. You know, the, I think Malik Willis handled it very well. You know, Ryan Tannehill reached out immediately to, to Malik Willis. And, and you know, I, I think there's been a bond for him. I think both of those guys are good guys, you know, in, in all the dealings I've had with them and the, the press has had with both of those guys. So I don't think it's an issue now. But odd. for a guy like Ryan Tannehill, who's very picks his words pretty carefully and for him to go to the word mentor without it being asked itself, hmm. I thought that was a little unusual. So in terms of Malik Willis, in terms of the franchise trajectory, obviously he's not starting for the start of the season. But can you see him? Can you see a situation where they they do start him maybe later in the season if Tannehill plays like he did last year, or maybe if there's a timetable that they have in mind for Malik Willis in his development? Yeah, you know, I, I think you know, kind of the the way a, a lot of people are thinking is that you know Ryan Tannehill again has a, a really big cap hit. Uh, next year, he's got a huge cap hit this year too. But you kind of have to suck up, suck it up, and say, you know, we we knew that was going to be the case. 
He has to be the guy this year. Malik Willis isn't ready. But sort of the, the scenario that might play out is, is if Ryan Tannehill doesn't have a very good year this year, then all of a sudden the talk for, for you know, 2023 is going to be, hey, maybe it's Malik Willis's time because he has progressed uh, quicker than I thought he would. I thought it was going to be a case, you know, in the offseason at the start of training camp that the Titans were probably going to have to keep three quarterbacks. Logan Woodside, because he just knows the system, he can serve as an adequate backup. And because Malik was so raw, was going to need so much help coming from Liberty and from his system that he was basically going to need a red shirt year, uh, you know, with the Titans. But the progress he made from the start of the offseason through training camp and in the preseason games uh, really Im- impressed me. So, you know, if, if he keeps up that kind of progress, you know, this year, I, I think, you know, I, I think uh, it's going to be tough to keep him out of the starting lineup next year, unless, again, unless Ryan Tannehill has one of those bounce back years plays like he did in 2019 or 20. As everybody knows, we are talking to Sports Illustrated, Fan Nation, Titans writer and reporter John Glennon. You look at their division, and their division is absolutely winnable. I, I mean, this is the one of the worst divisions in football. I mean, the Jaguars, we were just talking about the Jags. They, they look horrible. I know it's a preseason game, and I keep talking about how good Trevor Lawrence is going to be. But the only team that really stands out in that division that they're probably going to fight for is probably Indianapolis. And they have Matt Ryan there. Matt Ryan, this is his first year under center for a team that pretty much knows their offense. They have a very good running back in Jonathan Taylor. This is a good team. But – I just think when you look at the big picture of both of these teams, they're going to be fighting tooth and nail who's going to be the number one and who's going to be the number two in the division. Where do you see this division falling as far as what you have seen so far this preseason? Yeah, I, I certainly think, you know, Colts and Titans are, are head and shoulders above the uh, the other two. I, I do think I see, you know, I, I think the Jaguars, pay, you know, overpaid uh, all kinds of people during the offseason. <laughs> but at least that means – they're going to be a little bit better. Even if you're overpaying guys, you've got more talent. So they should, they should take a little step up and then they've got a better coach that couldn't get any worse. So that'll be a little bit better, but you know, I, I, the Texans, I, uh, you know, I didn't that, even mention yeah. them, as you notice. I didn't even mention the Titans at the end of the season last year. <laughs> right. It's, it's a different story there. You know, I, I think you can see the initial signs of a, of a rebuild for the Texans, but that's a, that's a, that's a long way away. So yeah, I, I, like a lot of things about the Colts team, I, I like their defense for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Frank Reich will be able to do some some uh, some good things with Matt Ryan. Um, you know, I'm a little concerned if I'm if I'm the Colts, uh, that offensive line, especially the tackles on the on the outside, mm-hmm. a little questionable in my opinion. Uh, and and some of their skill players, you know, at the wide receiver spots, still pretty young for the most part, and and a lot of those guys are unproven. So, you know, I, I think the good news for the Titans is, you know, the Titans have a, have a very strong defense, again, even without Harold Landry. And I think that matches up pretty well, uh, you know, against what the, the Colts' weakness is. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think it's it's going to be very tight between those teams. I still maybe, maybe call me a homer. Maybe I, I give the uh, the Titans just a little bit of an edge overall in that in that race. So I wanted to ask about the defense because in addition to losing Harold Landry, they also lost a lot of players in the offseason too, but two inside linebackers, a couple interior defensive linemen as well. And now they're really getting younger on the defensive side of the ball. They purged a lot of the big contracts that the uh, the regime tried to bring in when they brought in Rabel initially. So what do you think this defense will look like as a whole? And do you
you think maybe they have to change things up schematically because of that? Yeah, I mean, when you lose a guy like Harold Landry, who's coming off a career year, you know, at 12 sacks last year, guy played close to a thousand snaps last season. You know, they put him everywhere, left, right, middle. He was in coverage sometimes, just a, a really uh, versatile player. So that takes a lot out of you. But at the same time, I think edge uh, rusher, the edge position in general, is probably one of the Titans' strengths. Uh, they were they were deep at that position. You've still got Bud Dupree. Uh, Danico Autry is a very good player who plays both inside and out. I think this means he'll play a little bit more on the edge. So you've still got two players out there in Dupree and Autry who are very good. You got a guy from uh, Rashad Weaver uh, who's expected to be good. He didn't play much last year as a rookie. He was hurt. I think he's good. And, and another guy behind them, Ola Adaini, uh, who kind of flashed sometimes last year too. So I think they still have depth at that edge position. Uh, you've got Jeffrey Simmons inside, who's a who's a beast. Love him. Uh, oh, tremendous, I love tremendous Jeffrey player. Simmons. Yeah, I, I still think he's he's underrated. Uh, um, but I I, I think uh, you know you mentioned the guys leaving an inside linebacker, but you got Zach Cunningham, who's who's a, an animal against the run. All, you know, all kinds of tackles and so forth, and a kind of an underrated guy who's going to step into the starting lineup more so this year is David Long, who's very good against the pass. So that's a good complementary duo, inside linebacker. Safety duo, I think, is maybe one of the better in the league with Kevin Byard uh, and, and Amani Hooker, who has really, really come mm -hmm. on. Um, and the corner spot, you know, they've got four guys there who were, you know, picked in the, in the top one, two, or three rounds in the last uh, two seasons. Uh, so a ton of talent there. Uh, it's just a matter of, of the seasoning, uh, if you will. So, you know, even with the loss of, of Landry and, and you mentioned some of the guys that, that moved on, I still think that's a, that's a pretty good defense. Uh, and I think I, I, I still think it better be a pretty good defense because, you know, I, I, I'm concerned about what the offense is going to bring to the table. You look at John, you look at their schedule and their schedule is very interesting. Uh, it, it, it's strong. It's weak. I, I mean, so let's go through some of the, the games and, and, and where we think they're going to win and where we think they're going to lose and, and predict their record. I want to know what your prediction of their record is going to be. Going into week one, okay. they're playing the Giants, as we know. But then they have Buffalo, Vegas, and Indianapolis, and Washington. And then they go into their bye week. Where do you, where do you see them stand in the first five games of the season? Um... Run the, I, I only go about two or three weeks at a time. Run that by me again. Uh, it's the it's the Giants. I know we got Buffalo, mm -hmm. and then uh, was it Indy? Yes, Indy, Vegas, and Vegas, Vegas, right after Buffalo. I don't think it's a, it's an awful uh, uh, you know start for the uh, for the Titans. Uh, um, I, I think in general, you know, I I, I looked over the, the schedule, and in general, I, I think. They're really going to have some some very very difficult road games overall. So I'm I'm not sure exactly where I'm putting the in in the top five, but I think overall I have them. I'm straddling between kind of a ten and a seven and eleven and six record for these guys. Really? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like I say. Well, it doesn't hurt that you're playing in the AFC South oh, true, uh, true. either. Yeah. Um, but you know you're going to have some some real tough road games. I think it's going to be tough to win in Buffalo, Kansas City, Green Bay. At the Chargers, they have a hard time winning out there, um, you know, and, and uh, even you figure they split with Indy and maybe lose to the Bengals at home uh, is kind of what I'm thinking right now. And, and probably with the loss of Landry, maybe you got to throw one more loss in there just uh, randomly. 
My my kind of guess got right now is is maybe a ten and seven ish. Everybody keeps talking about the Bengals and them going to the Super Bowl. Their offensive line is much stronger than it was last year, and that was their weakness going into the playoffs. Everybody said that this team is stacked. They have the best kicker in football. They their off their their defense is is from top to bottom strong. Their quarterback is a star. They have the wide receivers. Everything they can run the ball with Mixon. I really think that this year. They're going to take a couple of steps back. They're in a a very interesting division. Uh, The AFC is very, very strong. And if you look at the Bengals, uh, you know, start of the season and and who they're playing, it's not easy. They don't have an easy schedule. So I understand what you're saying. Who's to say that the Titans can't shock them and and beat the Bengals in in Cincinnati? I think they could. So I I just – I'm not a big fan. I love Joe Burrow. I love him. I love his – for Sana, I, I like everything about him, but it's just something tells me uh, they could take this is the Cincinnati Bengals we're talking about. We're not talking about the Denver Broncos. Every every five years, they find a quarterback, a superstar quarterback to come and play for their team. It, it's not the same thing. And and I, I just don't trust that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to do it back to back years. That's just my opinion. It's it's, uh, it's not outrageous, no. You know, I I, I just uh, the last snapshot we saw of the Titans was was the Bengals coming down here and Joe Burrow, despite the fact mm-hmm. you know he was sacked nine times, which would fluster any quarterback. He probably threw for what three hundred fifty yards or so at least yeah. that day, and that's the snapshot that I keep seeing of the Bengals. And even though I think this Titans D is going to be good, it was pretty good last year too. And he was still able to, to take it to him enough to get that win. The bigger problem in that game was one settling for field goals. And two Ryan Tannehill actually throwing a (laughs) pass that even Eli Apple could deflect. So yeah. Yeah. Not, not a great way to cap, not a good year for, for Tannehill. So as you could tell, I'm a, I'm a Giants fan, so I'm naturally roasting Eli <laughs> Apple. So I wanted to ask about that game, the week one matchup. If the if the Titans have anything to worry about with the Giants in terms of an individual matchup, uh, in terms of what the Titans or maybe have a weakness in, what are you most concerned about from the Titans' perspective against the Giants going into that game? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I, I think they're most concerned about is – you know what they're going to see you know it's it's a it's a brand new coaching staff obviously and uh, you know you got Brian Deball and and uh, you know all the all the bills uh influence there obviously and then you've got Kafka coming in and okay maybe there's some chiefs influence there and you know Wink Martindale on the, on the other side and and you know what's he going to bring to the table so I, I think you know there's some concern that there's a there's a guessing game uh going on uh, there, you know, Kevin Byer talked about it the other day that this might be one of those games where you sort of have to feel your way in a little bit just because you're a little uncertain, you know, what the other team is, is bringing to the table. There's no tape for a, a Giants team under this staff yet. I think what's encouraging for the Titans, I, I guess, is, is what I saw. Uh, you guys have probably seen the same report that I guess uh, Ojolari and, mm-hmm. and Kayvon uh, Thibodeau are, are kind of not looking too likely at this point to, to play against the Titans on Sunday. So, so you know that that's a uh, that's a plus certainly, but I think certainly there there are some guys on the, at the skill positions that could scare the Titans. Um, you know, I, I kind of liked uh, uh, Wandale Robertson mm-hmm. Robinson coming out of the draft. Uh, um, I, I think he's a guy that that uh, you know could be productive. And and everything I'm hearing, you know, maybe this is just preseason hype, but that Kadarius Tony and, and Saquon Barkley are are you know rebound better seasons this year so you know I, I think there are some pieces that could scare the titans i think what what might play into the titans favor though is that they will also remember what they did in last year's season opener which was get pounded 
by the Arizona Cardinals in at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. So I think that that uh, season opener may may still be fresh in their minds. As everybody knows, we are talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Titans writer and reporter John Glenn. Last question for me, John. Uh, what do you think is going to be the biggest surprise for the Titans this season? I will have to say, you know, and, and we touched on this already, but despite the loss of Harold Landry, I still think this could be a top 10 uh, defense, um, which, you know, is, is going to be a shocker because of how good Harold Landry is. But I really like that the depth that they still have at the edge. Uh, I think there's an awful lot of talent in the defensive secondary so I think uh, I think this defense is going to uh, still step up, and as, as I say, it better because I'm not so sure about the Titans' offense. <laughs> so my last question is just uh, based on experience. I know I've been working with the Titans for a while. What was it like covering that uh, that playoff win against the Ravens when they shocked the world three years ago? It was incredible. I think nobody, you know, including all of us media that that covered the Titans, uh, expected that. And and you know they went on a nice little little run there. You know they also beat the uh, beat the Patriots that year, and that's when you kind of really started to get a feel that uh, you know I think that that Mike Vrabel. Uh, you know, was it was a pretty impressive coach, you know, because you, you saw some things against the Ravens and against the Patriots that kind of you, you got a sense that, OK, you know, they, they still may be the less talented team here, but they uh, they prevailed. Nonetheless, they, they devised, you know, specific defenses to stop the Ravens and Patriots. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was quite a uh, quite an impressive win, I would say. We both picked the Patriots, or we both picked the Titans that year, yes, and did. the rest of the network, when we had larger shows at that time, thought we were both crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm mm-hmm. impressed. Mm-hmm. Okay. You guys would have been uh, two more than the Nashville <laughs> media pick, I think. Yeah. By the way, I, I wouldn't want to get in the way of Mike Vrabel. No, no. I think there's, there's like, you know, when, when you always have that debate, uh, you know, a hypothetical debate of, of uh, you know, whose coach would uh, would come out the winner. Uh, if there was there was a brawl with all the coaches thrown in, I think there's only one guy that might contend. That would be Dan Campbell of, of Detroit. It's the only guy in my mind that might contend with Vrabes, but I don't know. Vrabes has got a little bit of scariness to him as well, so yes. it's, a, uh, it's definitely a one-two right there. When I saw A.J. Brown get traded at the draft and I saw his face, <laughs> it was something that look, it looked like he wanted to rip the whoever was making that decision, Rip is effing head off. Okay, that's how mad he was. I saw him. I saw him get up and he walked right out of the room. So right, he, you kind of wondered whether he was going to put his fist through a plate glass window. He or, was or not like happy. That. He was not. Yeah, happy. and then of course you know, and then five minutes later, he's coming out on at the podium and saying uh, he and, and general manager John Robinson were in lockstep the entire way on I'm this sure. and, and uh, total agreement. So, yeah, you know, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Well, I, I like, uh, you know, I like ice cream. Does that mean that I like coffee ice cream just because I like ice cream? The answer would be no. <laughs> just, just make sure Mike Vrabel next time he's on camera during the draft. Doesn't, you don't see his son in the background of the toilets. Oh my God. <laughs> That's true. That was entertaining. That, that was, was something we did not expect. <laughs> Welcome to the pandemic. Yep, no, your right. son's on the toilet on camera during the NFL never, draft. <laughs> never, never had a coach had to explain the fact, or at least try to explain the fact that his son was actually not 
on the toilet, uh, you know, taking care of business during the draft. That was, you know. Well, at least you're not, Phil- at least you're not we Philip not Rivers doing thing. an interview in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, well, we've heard some crazy stories about Philip Rivers jumping out of bushes, you know, scaring yes, his own players. Uh-huh. So, That's so, right. I mean, we've had uh, some interesting people tell us stories about Philip Rivers, that he's a jokester <laughs> and he, but uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, I, I know Speedy's been reaching out to you a little bit, and I know you're a very, very busy man. But uh, we'd love to get you back on uh, as the season progressively moves forward and see what your thoughts are with the Titans and how strong do you think they're going to be moving on to the middle of the season. But uh, uh, definitely love to talk to you again. You're great, and we'll speak to you soon, my friend. Okay, thanks, guys. Enjoy being on. John Glennon, my friend. Uh, by the way, uh, as a great personality, knows his Titans, and I wasn't trying to throw uh, Burks under, you know, you know, whatever he thought I was throwing him. But I, AJ Brown is a guy that I really, really enjoy watching. It's a shame that he's playing for Philadelphia. I think he's going to have a great season with Smith over there on the other side. I think they're going to be fun to watch. Uh, Philadelphia is very; it's a very interesting team this year, especially in the NFC, because of the strengths that they added to that team in the, in, in the off season. They were a nine and eight team last year. Now you, you definitely gotten better offensively. It's definitely much better. And defensively they did too. So, and they had a three headed monster as far as running backs are concerned. So they have weapons. And I, I think it'll be fun to watch AJ Brown on a more elusive offensive team. I, I, I don't, I, the Titans, you knew where it was going. It was going either to AJ Brown or they were running the ball to Derrick Henry. Everybody knew what they were doing. It, it's, but when you have a weapon like that on the outside, you you, you gotta you gotta pick your poison. Are you gonna expect AJ Brown to beat you on the outside because he's gonna go deep, or are you going to let the beast run all over you? So and and now this year it's all about the beast. He's going to have to run over everybody uh, for this team to score, and that's going to be a big problem. And I I I can't wait to see what Vrabel does when they when teams figure that out and they stack the box and they say, okay, beat us on the outside. Do let's see what Burks could do on the outside. Let's see what your rookie wide receivers could do on the outside against our star corners. They do so, play this year too. Uh, hopefully Mike Vrabel could game plan for his former wide receiver. That would be cool. Absolutely. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really fun season. I expect it to be more interesting in the AFC than the NFC because the NFC, you know who the powerhouses are. You know where it's probably going. There are seven teams that make the playoffs. I think everybody can name probably six out of the seven teams that are going to make the playoffs in the NFC. In the AFC, it's open. It is so open. You don't know who's going to make the playoffs. It, it's Everybody says it's strength of the schedule. When you look at the schedule, some of these bad teams that think everybody thinks is going to be bad could be good. So you just don't know with the AFC what's going to happen with these rookie quarterbacks. You have Justin Herbert. He has a lot to prove this year. Uh, Burrow has to prove that it wasn't a fluke last year going to uh, the Super Bowl. I mean, there are a ton of quarterbacks. You have Derek Carr. He has his best friend playing with him. And, and Adams, I expect Adams to explode this year. But then again, it's not Aaron Rodgers. So... Uh, and then again, it's also Josh McDaniels' coach. That's true too. I mean, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun to watch when when he gets into trouble. And are they playing the Patriots this year? I don't think so. Oh man, I would love to see. No, Josh McDaniels I, no, the Patriots will play the second place. Oh no, actually, they might. No, I think they do. Actually, yeah, because the Raiders were second place. I believe they do. Oh, I would. I can't wait to watch that. I can't wait to watch that because I I, I saw. If anybody hasn't seen. 
Wink was uh, – Bill Belichick was so upset what Wink was doing defensively to the Patriots in the preseason game. He was – pissed if, yeah. if you haven't seen the press conference it's a late it's a late late season sunday night football game yes. Patriots at raiders oh really yeah oh well, that, that's gonna December be really 18th. really fun that's <laughs> gonna be really really fun because i know josh mcdaniels and bill belichick they know each other very very well one's offensive mind the other one's a defensive mind and who's who's the patriots offensive coordinator <laughs> it, it's interesting you you would always, you always have this thing of bill belichick does well against his existence except for 2018 and john you know this too the titans blew out the patriots at the end of that, that season i think it was like 34 to 10 or something like that uh, they also got blown out by the lions that year of all teams when patricia oh, was there my god i can't wait to watch that that disaster of a game I mean, I there's just there's so many questions with a lot of these teams, and I that's why predicting is so hard with the NFL because every year it could change. And teams like remember Cincinnati before last year they were four win team, right? They were a four win team, and they go all the way to the Super Bowl the year after. So anything is possible. Forty Nineers did that year, yeah. uh, their year too. They were a th- three win yeah, team. Joey in Bosa and Joey Bosa changed their. Nick Bosa, the, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, Nick Bosa yep. changed the whole outlook to their defense. One player could change the whole outlook to a team. Look at Micah Parsons, what he did last year for the Cowboys. I, I mean, he the teams were double, triple teaming him. You can move him inside. You can move him on the outside. Now we're going to see. What Micah Parson can do, Mark Micah Parson can do when teams understand what they're going, what he is going to do at the line. So it, it, they move him to the inside linebacker position. Do they move him to the outside as a defensive end? What teams are and how they're going to defend against him? He's not going to be. He might not look as explosive, or maybe he'll look even more explosive, being that he has a second season under his belt. So there's just. There's just so much stuff and what ifs and could this happen? Could that happen? What about the draft picks? Some of these young players that are going to be uh, going into their first year. I, I mean, Garrett Wilson, uh, a lot of people loved. I want to see him in a full season with the Jets. Is he going to be explosive or is he going to be the guy that everybody thought coming out of Ohio State? And by the way, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they have had a lot of good first round, uh, uh, I'm sorry, wide receivers that have come out of the draft and that have been um, have been explosive coming into the NFL. And then there have been some guys, a.k.a. from the Jets, in the second and third rounds yep. from Ohio State that were complete busts. So it, you just don't know what these guys are going to turn out to be. And that's what is so fun about the NFL because there are guys that get drafted in the fifth and sixth round you never even heard of, and they become superstars in the NFL. And then undrafted guys like Victor Cruz, they just shine you know, in the preseason, and then they finally play in the NFL games, and then and they explode, and they get their big contracts, and they completely disappear off the thin, you know, off the face of the earth. So, anyways, John, thank you, bud. Okay, guys, take care. Uh, it is crazy, man. This NFL season is just absolutely crazy, man. Yeah. I, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect. Maybe I'll have another surprise Super Bowl again, like the Bengals. Who knows I, I mean, right? we can go through, you know, each and every team, and we will do that on Thursday, and we'll. We'll we'll go through each and every team, and we'll make our predictions on what their records are going to be. But you just don't know. I, I mean, the AFC, even in your own division, all the AFC West teams have to play against each other twice. Mm-hmm. That is that, that's brutal. Could you imagine have to play? If you're the Raiders, you have to play the Broncos twice. You have to play the Chiefs twice. Twice. You have to play the Chargers twice. Twice. Then you have the Chargers. They got to play the Chiefs. They got to play the Broncos and the Raiders twice. That's that's not easy. 
Now, that, that that's challenging for them, and that'll get them ready for the playoffs because they're playing four really good teams. Each and every team in that division are good, is good if they stay healthy. So it'll give them a challenge. So it, it's just it's so very interesting. And why, why did the Raiders play four games in the preseason? Oh, the Hall of Fame game because the Jaguars did too. That sucks. Yeah, the Raiders and the Jaguars for the Hall of Fame. It's the Jaguars why they went zero and four. They have an extra loss to add. To and your they record. went four and zero. And the Raiders went four and zero. There you go. It's crazy. Well, but... they actually have depth now for the first time since I can remember. Probably since that twenty sixteen season. When I worry Derek about Carr got the Raiders. I, I worry about the Raiders defense. Even I do too. They, yeah, even they though they had Casey Hayward, even though they had a good season last year and they did play well, and mm-hmm. that that says a lot. But they. There is no John Gruden there anymore. There is no they, – they change GMs. It, it's a different team, mm-hmm. you know. So you're really going into a season where you have Josh McDaniels. And we all know what he is capable of being and, and doing. Uh, ask uh, ask him what Tim Tebow is doing now. <laughs> but, yeah, they lost two corners too, and I think they lost Corey Littleton in the offseason. Yeah. They lost a lot of defensive pieces. Their D-line is still good, but the rest of their defense has some question marks. And then there's the Chiefs, and, and there's a lot of question marks with the Chiefs. Now, they do have Patrick Mahomes, and, and you can't say anything about, about, bad about that because he's fantastic. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Some people say he is the best quarterback in the NFL. But their roster is different. They don't have Tyreek Hill there anymore. They do have Travis Kelsey, but Travis Kelsey is 30 years old now. I mean, he's not a young buck anymore. This is a guy that has a, a lot of wear and tear on his legs, and I'm interested to see what this team is offensively Going into the season, now they have some good young players. Uh, Hard uh, Hardman is 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 expected to be that Tyreek Hill type of player. I don't know if he's Tyreek Hill. He's, Maybe Sky Moore's that guy. Sky, I love Sky Moore. Mm-hmm. I I really do. That's why I drafted him in yes. all my leagues. I I I before tomorrow, and I expect to draft him in tomorrow's league too. But I think that Sky Moore is going to be a fantastic player. I think he's going to be the number one target on this Chiefs team besides Travis Kelsey. I think he's going to be a nice weapon. It's going to take him a while to figure things out offensively. And they're, they're, I, as everybody knows what Andy Reid likes to do, he likes to run first, throw second. He loves running the ball. And even when he's at the, you know, he's at the five-yard line, he doesn't like throwing the ball. He likes running it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't – I, again, I don't know what this Kansas City Chiefs going to be uh, as far as a team is concerned in a division that's so competitive, you know. So it's, I don't know, man. It's you know, as a Jet fan, I'm worried because the Jets have a good roster this year. They're going into the season. I am very impressed with their roster. I think their roster is so much better if it stays healthy. This could be one of the top ten defenses in the league. This could be one of the top. Offensive lines in football, if they stay healthy, that but it could. You see, that's the word. It could or maybe. Right. There is no guarantees to that. They have Brees Hall and they have Michael Carter. Michael Carter looked good going into the second half last year before he got hurt, and then he got hurt and he wasn't the same player. And then you have Brees Hall. This is not college football. This isn't Iowa State. Okay, this is the New York Jets. This is the AFC East. Teams know what the Jets are going to do. They're running the ball first and second. We've heard Mike LaFleur talk about that. They expect this offense to be run first, throw second. So I expect them to run the ball a a lot. I'm saying about 50, 60 times. And when teams know that, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to stack the box and you have two rookie quarter, uh, two, two rookie 
two, well, one second-year player, which I still think Elijah Moore is a rookie because he didn't even play a full season, right. and, and Garrett Wilson, who's a rookie wide receiver. So you have two rookies on the outside. So there's no trust method on what this offense is going to be for the Jets. But at least the depth is a better problem to have than trying to trust one guy at the same time, too. Well, there's no excuses. No, there's no excuses, and that's why I think the biggest pressure is Michael LaFleur because of that, because Michael LaFleur had a lot of questionable game planning at certain points last year, too. Granted, yeah, at the end of the season, a lot of guys were hurt. Okay, understandable. But in the middle of the season, there was a lot of very dry game plans. There's just no excuses for this team. I expect this team to go out and and play uh, on top early in this game against Baltimore. They do not want to fall behind against the Baltimore Ravens. Get a field goal. I, I mean, they, they brought in Zerline. They decided to part ways with their kicker last year, which I expected them to do. Yeah. As soon as I saw Greg Zerline on this roster in the preseason, I expected it was his job to lose. Because when he is healthy, when Greg Zerline is healthy, he's a good kicker. He really yeah. is. Uh, he's been in the Pro Bowl. Uh, he's been in the league for, what, six years? Yeah, he, at one point was the second-best kicker in football. Yeah, I, he's a good kicker. And the Jets always have good kickers. Nick Falk, he, he came here. He was one of the more successful kickers. Every kicker the Jets bring in, they're successful. But that's the only thing they're successful in. Punt returning and kicking. That's it. <laughs> their, their special teams is good. Their, everything else is horrible. So I hope there's a change and a transition to what Joe Douglas was trying to build in the offseason. The question uh, is, is it going to happen? Uh, the Beef says 7-10. Uh, and 10, uh, The Jets will be looking for a new quarterback, and Tyler has the Packers at 7-10. Yeah, he probably does, knowing him. <laughs> I don't care what Tyler thinks, by the way. And number two, there is no way in hell the Packers are going to be 7-10. and 10. As long as Aaron Rodgers is 100% healthy and he's playing for the full season 17 games, they don't lose more than – they don't lose under 10 games. They're going to right. win 10 or more games. Mm-hmm. This team, he's too good. And that division is really bad, okay? You have to play the Bears twice. That's two guaranteed wins right there. <laughs> yeah, he owns the Bears in his career. No question. That's two guarantees. If you, if you look at that division, and I, I, let's go through that division right now. The Bears, that's an easy two wins. The Lions, let's say the Lions win one game, okay? They beat the Packers once. That's three wins right there. The Vikings, the, they'll win at least one game against the Vikings. That's four wins in a division. Mm-hmm. Then they got NFC East, AFC East, and then the division winners. Oh, they'll beat the Cowboys. <laughs> they always beat the Cowboys. They'll beat the Giants. <laughs> That's a guarantee. <laughs> they'll beat the Commanders. They won't beat the Eagles. Let's say the Eagles beat them. So they'll win those games. So right there, you got four wins. One, two, three. That's seven wins right there. Mm-hmm. Well, what else do they have? AFC East and then the, uh, two, the division winners from the South, which is the Buccaneers and the NFC they'll West. They'll beat the Jets. The they'll beat the Dolphins. They'll lose. They might lose to the Patriots because Bill Belichick. Because he, he I think they play the Patriots at home, though, so that's a good benefit to that. Now that I'm going to go to New England. All right, so maybe they beat the Patriots. They'll lose the Bills. Okay? So that right there is 10 wins. Okay, what else? What other divisions? And then it's the Buccaneers and the Rams, which could go either way. Yeah. So let's say they win one out of the two. So that's 11 wins. 11 wins for a team that has no wide receivers. That's how good Aaron Rodgers is. Mm-hmm. But everybody seems to think that this team is going to win seven games. 
or eight games. That's yeah. what I've heard. I mean, it's yeah, it's one thing. I, I've seen a lot of people say that the Vikings could win the division or the, the Packers will be a wild no card. There is no way in hell this team is winning seven games. It's, yeah, seven games is not going to happen unless that team is, like, tragically injured. Like, half their defense is hurt and Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, too, or something like that. Because, remember, their defense was hurt a lot last year, too, and they still went 14-3. and three, So Aaron Rodgers by himself is going to give them eight or nine wins. By himself, okay? The other two or three wins that they get is going to be because it's going to be because either luck, defense, or something else. Right? Okay. Aaron Rodgers by himself is going to give them eight or nine wins. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Well, we're not swaying the rest of the world. Just people who think like Tyler. <laughs> well, Tyler, Tyler's in his own little world. I mean, the teams that really stand out. I, I'm interested to see what the Panthers are going to be this year because mm-hmm. I do believe it's a complete upgrade at the quarterback position. I think Baker Mayfield has a lot to prove. I think he wants to prove that he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I think he, he wants to prove that he is going to be the future of the Panthers. They don't need to go in, go into the draft and look for a quarterback like they might going into next year if they have a bad season. I think they're going to extend Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield is the quarterback of the future of that team. And, and by the way, I'm not going to say they're going to win that division, but I think they're going to compete against the Buccaneers. I, I really do. I'm not a big fan of the Saints quarterback position and where they're lying with Jamison Winston and, um, and, and, and Tatum Hill. Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Taysom Hill. So I, I think they're going to have quarterback problems. The Falcons are going to have quarterback problems with Mariota. And they can't stay healthy. I mean, Kyle Pitts is going to have a good year, but that, that's because he's the only person that's going to ever get open. Right. Drake so, London is going to is hurt right now. He can't probably, stay healthy. Yeah, and he's going to probably thank take a God while to the get Jets going. didn't draft him. Yeah, he's going to probably take a little bit to get going when he does come in, and he's going to have to really be dominant right away because he might get number one attention if Cordero Patterson is the gonna, year he had last year. Well, Cordero Patterson is going to run the ball. They're going to use him as a multiple dual threat. Right. So they're going to see a lot of Cordell Patterson running the ball than catching the ball because they have two weapons on the outside already. So um, I'm not a big fan of what the Falcons are going to be this year. I think they'll fire their coach at the end of the season. Uh, I think that will be an available you know, coaching spot for a lot of different Possibly, yeah. uh, offensive and defensive coordinators could be fighting for a position. Uh, but – I, I mean, if you look at the Buccaneers, everybody thinks this is the Buccaneers division to win. I don't know about that. I don't know. I, I, I think the Panthers, if they could stay, if Christian McCaffrey can stay healthy this year with Baker Mayfield and, and DJ Moore, this is a good team. And, and they'll be able to win. I don't know if they're winning 11 or 12 games, but I don't think the Buccaneers are going to win 11 or 12 games this year. Everyone thought last year the Panthers were kind of keep hearing the depth that this team has. I, I don't. Uh, is Tom Brady the same Tom Brady? And, and by the way, I don't know what's going on in his private life, but he doesn't look healthy. He, I mean, anybody who's watched his press conferences, and he doesn't look like the same Tom Brady. Am I right or wrong? I mean, I mean I, isn't this like every every year, like the no, random storyline no, <laughs> for Tom Brady? I mean, look at Tom Brady. Look at his face. Oh, it's weird. Look I know. At, <laughs> look at the stories. I mean, he came out and, and he talked about the the 10 – the 10 days that he wanted off extra, I, I think he's having problems family-wise. Uh, I, I don't know if it to be true, so I'm not going to spread any rumors. Right. But it, it seems like something is going on that Tom's not really speaking about. And uh, it, it, I don't know if it's going to affect his game this year. It might. It might not. It, it's Tom Brady, so we're going to predict it's not going to. But 
Yeah. There's until, no guarantees in this division. Until, it, until it's like a larger sample with Tom Brady, it's right now just like one of those things that might affect him for three games, slow start, and then all of a sudden he'll get it going again. Like he, like he did the first year with the Buccaneers, too. They started very slow, and they were, I think they were two and three at one point before they got on a massive hot streak, and then they uh, then they had a little stumble again, and they obviously got hot and won the Super Bowl. So until that is proven otherwise, it's gonna, that's going to be the storyline until it's a much larger sample. And if anyone's going to stop that, it would be either the Panthers or the Saints. The problem is, is they're all Offensive line is is weak, right. and mm-hmm. going into the season, even though Tom Brady is the king of releasing the ball, he is the fastest release point. Everybody knows what Tom Brady likes to do, but nevertheless, not having an offensive line that could protect you could put you know him in, in danger of getting hurt or in position that they're going to have to run the ball more than throwing the ball. So they do have Leonard Fournette there. They still do have a good running game, but I I don't know how. As much as the depth that we, we – who do we have on the show? J.C. Uh, Allen a couple weeks J.C. ago. J.C. Allen yeah. and J.C. was telling us how, how much depth they have offensively, defensively. They're so much better than they were last year. But I don't know how you figure that because th- this is this a team is coming back from major in- injuries for two wide receivers. I mean, and you don't have Antonio Brown there anymore. I mean, it's not a benefit anyways, but – You got Russell Gage and Julio Jones. That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's just – I don't know. I don't know what to expect uh, with the Buccaneers this year. I expect them to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I just – I don't know if they win the division. I, I don't know. Yeah, in the playoffs will be a little more concerning just because of the offensive line because we've seen Tom Brady, when he's had his bad games in the playoffs, most of them are against power-rushing, interior-type rushing teams like the Eagles or the Giants had that kind of depth. Uh, the Broncos, not as much, but they still had some where the, yeah. the, the, they were able to penetrate enough. And, 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 and I see Snug – Posting up about Tom Brady and hell, all hail the Brady or whatever the heck he does. Listen, I'm not taking shots at Tom Brady. I, I'm just saying that this – how old is Tom Brady? He's going to be five, 45 years yeah, old I, yeah. by the end of this season. And he doesn't look healthy. He looks a lot lighter than he did going into last season. Um, it looks like he's scrambling in because he missed the first – you know, the last – uh, last few days because he decided to stay home with his family. I don't know what's going on in his family life. So who knows? Now, if there's anybody to bet on any player to expect him to have a good season, it's Tom Brady. I would bet on Tom Brady. I was trying to draft him in my fantasy draft. Okay. So I I believe that Tom Brady's going to have a good year. But again, that division, there's no guarantees in that division. I mean, the Saints could be good. The Falcons could pull off some wins that we would They were good in close games last year. Um, The Panthers could be good this year. If they could stay healthy and Christian McCaffrey could stay healthy with Baker Mayfield, that could be – their offensive line is pretty good. I mean, this is – this is a decent offense and, and has a decent defense. I would say the Saints' overall roster, too, outside of the quarterbacks, is probably not far behind Tampa. Well, they lo- they're, they're going to lose Marcus May for a significant amount of probably, time. Probably, yeah. Because he's, he's going to be suspended. Right. So One thing the Saints do have a lot of is secondary depth more yeah. than you ever saw before, though. So that might not be as big of a burden as people it's think. A, it's a it, it's, it might be a little bit. It might be a little bit when it comes to like certain like the playoff races down the stretch, you wonder. But if it's suspended oh, he'll early be back the by season, then. Right. You wonder... It's going to be if it's going to be earlier in the season or something drawn out, something that he should be suspended now, but isn't right away, too. Because we see the NFL botch those things all the time when it comes to these off field issues. But Marcus May, now a repeat offender, he should be suspended. And I expect the NFC West to be powerhouse again. I mean, three out of the four teams is going to make the playoffs. The 49ers are going to be good this year if they can stay healthy. I don't trust their rookie quarterback, but they they bring back their veteran and Jimmy Garoppolo. So 
whatever Trey Lance does, and Trey Lance could bomb the first five games, they still can make the playoffs mm-hmm. because the NFC is horrible. I mean, uh, besides the, the teams like the Buccaneers, I would say the Packers and maybe the Eagles. The Rams. No, I'm not talking about their division. Oh, their division. I'm talking about all the other divisions. Right, those are probably the only three obvious ones. Uh, You look at the the Eagles, you look at the Packers, and you look at the Buccaneers. Everybody else, it's it's a possibility that they're going to bomb this year. There's no guarantees. Now, everybody likes the Vikings. Everybody thinks that the Vikings' offense is going to be good, but they're not going to be the same defense that they've been strong in over the last couple of years. So they lost a lot of defensive pieces in the offseason. Now, they will get some back that were unhealthy last year because Daniil Hunter was hurt for an extended period of time. Eric Kendricks was hurt for a lot. So that will help them, too. They lost two linebackers. They They lost two linebackers. Now, I like what they drafted with the secondary, which is a lot better than what they had last year. So that's going to be interesting. Also, interior defensive line is like all three new guys. Guys all at once, too. They brought in Harrison Phillips. They just made a trade last week with the Texans for Ross Blackblock, who's a good young defensive tackle. So we'll see what they have on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, definitely more than the first, probably the first time since we saw since like the late 90s when they had Randy Moss and Chris Carter. This is yeah. actually more of an offensive oriented Vikings yep. team, which is weird to think with all the good defenses they've had in the past. And there are teams like the Commanders that could surprise the whole NFC because. I like what they have. I like some of the weapons that they brought in. I, I, I've always liked Carson Wentz. Now, uh, I thought it was a bad, de- it was a bad deal that the the Colts gave him in the off season. I, I understand that he didn't get along with some of the players on the team, but I am very surprised that Frank Wright didn't stick up for him and try to save him. This is the same Frank Wright that actually drafted him when he was in Philadelphia. He wanted him so badly, and that's why they decided to go with him instead of Jared Goff. And uh, he had his best season with Frank Wright. He had a good season last year with Frank Wright. And then they decided to bring in Matt Ryan, who's 38 years old. He's an old man. You're going to put an old quarterback behind center. It doesn't make sense. I, I know they didn't make the playoffs. They blamed it on... On him, obviously, it wasn't his fault, okay? It was the defense's fault. They lost some close games because they couldn't stop a nosebleed. and But they blamed it on Carson Wentz. And maybe because the locker room didn't like him. Maybe he wasn't a leader. We heard a lot of, you know, with the, the Geno Smith thing with the Jets. And we've heard the um, Mark Sanchez thing that a lot of the players didn't like him. You know, after the first two years, a lot of people were giving up on him. So... And I'm just talking as a Jet fan. There were other quarterbacks that really weren't successful because they didn't get along with the teammates. Right. So um, Aaron Rodgers, every single team that we've had on this show, everybody says that Aaron Rodgers, uh, the fans say Aaron Rodgers is an ass. He's a bad guy. Every single teammate we had on this show, I, I would say we've had four of his teammates, four of them. Every one of them told us he's a good guy. Now, obviously, Jennings didn't like him. And LaMichael Finley didn't like him. But you're going to have players that not going to like you. Maybe because you didn't get the ball enough. Maybe because he didn't like to throw to you. Maybe he just thought you were jackass. Well, that's the ego of the wide receiver position, too. <laughs> you're, you're never guys that are targets, direct targets of him. Yeah, that's going to go and happen in some extent. People were saying that thing about Odell for the longest time and Antonio Brown. And that was a big reason for their antics, too. <laughs> but... I think the Commanders could have a very good year this year. I think they could shock the division and maybe win the division. I, I really do. I, I think that, they have a great running game. They have two. They have Gibson, who I think is a great running back. They have an explosive running game. Their offensive line is very underrated. 
It's a very underrated offense, and their defense could be one of the best defenses in the league. A matter of fact, I think they're a top six defense in all of football. This they year. could be talent wise. They just have to help. one. Their corners allowed way too many big plays last year, and two, yeah. a lot of injuries last year. So we have to. Well, see if they, they also didn't healthy. have a quarterback that actually could make. Plays. That's true. Yeah, and I think. It's just a matter of a lot of guys staying healthy, too, because their offensive line had a lot of injury issues last year because that field is a mess because it seems like everybody gets hurt there, and the Washington's always had that problem even going I back I also further. think that McLaurin wanted a big contract. He got it, so I expect him to go out there, stay healthy this year, and show everybody what he was worth because he is a great talent. He just needs a guy that's going to give him the ball, get the ball to him, and I think they have the guy. I think Carson Wentz is so very underrated. Uh, he... He does like forcing the ball in certain mm-hmm. spots, which gets him into trouble. Right. You saw that with Indianapolis last year in big games against the Patriots and all that other stuff against good quality defensive-minded coaches. But Carson Wentz had a very good season last year. He was not bad. He, I think he had like 25 touchdowns and I think Only was, seven interceptions. Seven it interceptions. Was, it was his most efficient season since his MVP season. The problem is his other four seasons were not efficient, and that's where a lot of questions are made with some, a team like the Colts that yeah. are really strong in other areas. So it, you sit back and you wonder where some of these divisions are going to be and what teams are going to surprise people. And everybody keeps talking about the Lions. And I watched them in hard knocks, and I, I, I love their coaching staff. Uh, a lot of ex-Jets are on that coaching staff. I... I love the demeanor of Hutchinson. I think he's a he's a great personality. He's been dancing to Michael Jackson, singing and having fun on the field. Uh, he's he's a definitely a personality, and they they have a lot of personalities on that team. They really do. Uh, they they have two really good running backs on yes. that team, um, and they have a very good wide receiver in uh, Brown. I think he's going to be very explosive this year. Very underrated when he was drafted in that draft uh, a year ago. So. I, I, I don't know what the Lions are going to be. How many wins do you think they're going to have? Six? I'm thinking that. Seven? Six. I mean, that's a successful year. Kind of like the Jets. Right. You know, It's next year where everybody thinks that you know could be their year. And you don't want to win too many games because if you don't think Jared Goff's your guy, next year is the class that you want to get into the quarterback uh, you know, quarterback thoughts on uh, you know in your top ten. Right. So I'm not saying they're trying to lose. No team no. wants to do that. But why go into games at the final, you know, final three, four games of the season and win those games when you can get the quarterback that could really bring you to that promised land that you haven't been? Yeah, they're kind of like the Giants, where they they have a quarterback that played well considering the circumstances last year. Jared Goff, just like Daniel Jones, with really bad receivers. Uh, the Lions have a better offensive line than the Giants do, but still, it, it wasn't great last year, and. The, the Lions and Giants both have to really still build up the rest of their roster, too. The Lions built up their receiving core nicely this offseason. Uh, Carl mentioned in the comments DJ Chark. I yeah, forgot I, forgot, I forgot yeah, he was on, forgot they on the roster. Him, so yep. if they could rebirth him to what he was three years ago, that would be something. I'm Lions, not a big fan of DJ Chark, by the way. Well, right now he's only had one good season. Yeah, league, with the so. Jacksonville Jaguars. Right, so. and, 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 and who is Jared Goff? Really, who is he? Yeah. Okay? Now... I think Jared Goff, I, I was never a fan of him when he came into the draft. I remember that. <laughs> never was. I was very impressed with him last year with a roster that was so depleted. Mm-hmm. That was not a good roster last year. And he played well. He, he, he stole games away from some teams, like, the, like the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Arizona at the end of the season. So. And I know everybody says, oh, Aaron Rodgers really didn't play in that game. That's fine. He still stole that game from the Green Bay Packers. A very good roster even though Aaron Rodgers didn't even play in the game. That was still a very good roster, and they won that game. Mm -hmm. But honestly, 
I want to see this team go out there and play hard. Play in, play out. And, and I'm not talking about, oh, they played hard in the first quarter and they completely died in the second and third and then start playing hard again in the fourth. And they, right. they come close, but they don't win. I want to see this team play hard just like I want to see the Jets. These are two teams that expected, are expected to be better than they were over the last couple of years. Right. The Lions did play a, a close in, a, in some, some of the games they lost last year, too. They had that tie against the Steelers. They lost to the Ravens only because Justin Tucker had a 66-yard field goal. They played close with the Vikings in both games. They played close with the Rams, I think, even two for three quarters until the Rams ran away with it in the fourth. So they're definitely battle-tested a lot more, and that has to do with Dan Campbell really doing well. And even Aaron Glenn on the defensive side has done a nice job. A lot of people were saying that he could have gotten head coaching hires uh, in this offseason, too. But again, it's a lot harder for defensive coaches to get the hires now. But Aaron Glenn's impact on that defense, it doesn't have a lot of overall talent on it, really showed that this defense was going to hang tough with teams and play physical and, and really play hard like they did. Uh, Carl says, Lions and Bears win five. Snook says, you heard it here, folks. Earl has called the Jets-Lions Super Bowl in 2024. Uh, Carl says, Lions could be three and two to start. Look at their schedule. Yeah. I, I looked at this schedule. and He's right. And, and, and we're not going to make our – we're not going to go through each and every – team this in this show uh, right. next show we're going to go through the all the teams in the NFL we're going to give you our predictions on where we think these teams are going to be uh, going into the season as far as win records where the defense is going to be and all that other stuff yeah, I think you're also looking at a case with the Lions, too. Like, they're getting all this hype now. Will it die out? This is the other thing, too, because we've seen these hard knocks. They hype up these teams a lot, and they'll start off fast, and then all of a sudden it'll go. And that'll be interesting for the Lions, who always has a lot of big expectations for that kind of thing. Uh, Suck says, is there anything better than the Lions game ending in a tie? And Carl says, boo. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, the, the 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 first win for the Lions was a tie that year because they were just so close for so long. They got the tie first, and then they finally got the win. So there you go, Snug, if that answers your question. No, it, it's so funny. I, I'm live on a radio show, and everybody keeps bothering me. I got people texting me and, and all this other stuff. Uh, everybody knows we're live, and they, they're bothering me. But you want to reach out to me at midnight. I'm available. You can call me. But nevertheless, uh, going back into – some of these teams this year, and I, I, I still I still think that the AFC is a powerhouse, but again, there's a lot of teams in the NFC that can show promise. And and we were just talking about the Lions. A lot of people, including you, like the Vikings I this do, year. Yeah. I, I, they can't stay healthy. And they have a good running back in Cook. I, I, I think he's a great player. I, I it's, Dalvin Cook is a guy that I draft every year. This year was the first year I didn't draft because I don't trust that he's going to stay healthy. He's a great player. He just doesn't stay healthy. And even on the, that team, that Thielen, I drafted him. I like Thielen. I, I wanted to draft him last year, but somebody drafted him in the fourth round. This year, I, I, I stole him in the fifth round. So I think he's going to have a good year. He's going to see the ball a lot because Jefferson is going to be double teamed more than Thielen is. So I expect Thielen to have a good season this year. But um, defensively, this team is not going to be explosive like they were over the last couple of, couple of years when Zimmer was there. Carl says Vikings. Is it never... Zimmer or Shimmer? Uh, Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah. I'm sorry. Carl says Vikings never make it over the top. Never. No, nobody's saying the Vikings are a Super Bowl threat, but I think a lot of people think they could be a playoff team because of the prolific offense of what yeah. they have. Assuming their offensive line plays at least serviceable. If they have a really bad offensive line type year, like you saw with the Browns in 2019, then those offensive skill players will go to waste, like we saw with the Browns in 2019 when they had Chubb and Hunt and Odell and all those guys. <clears throat> 
that's the only thing that would hurt the Vikings. But they have, with a new coach now and a modern offense, they have potential to be a top-five type offense. But the defense is the thing. Yeah, that's going to probably be very average at best, I would say. It'll be probably better than last year if everyone's healthy. But, yeah, still a lot of big questions. The Cardinals are a question mark, too. Yes, because uh, with the obviously hard knocks, I'm going to watch the, the, the regular season and see what this team is doing on and off the field. But this is a team that's expected to have a big season. J.J. Watt is back. This team is going to be, should be explosive defensively. Um, offensively, they have weapons. They have a good running game. And John Connor, he's coming back. He had a sensational year last year. They did lose a running back, but nevertheless, uh, they have wide receiver. They did lose Christian Kirk, but they, they brought in, you know, obviously Hopkins is out for a significant amount of time. Um, they also lost uh, with a Dewey. Um, uh, what's his name again? I'm sorry. Hollywood, Brown. Hollywood Brown. He might be out for the first couple of games. So when these guys come back and they fit into the offense, we'll see what kind. Ky- first of all, the first two or three or maybe even the first five games, this is Kyler Murray's offense. I want to see Kyler Murray win games when, when he ha- he doesn't have the weapons that he thinks he's going to have in the second half of the season. He made he, he got the contract that he wanted in the offseason. He made his money. He's making $42, $43 million a year. He's one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL. Now he's got to go out there and prove himself. I have always liked Kyler Murray. Statistically, fantasy football, the guy's a beast. Mm -hmm. But always, in the second half, he dies down. He has a great first half where he's just killing everybody. And then in the second half, he can't stay healthy. He's slower. Remember, this is not a big man. He's, you know, 5'9 at best. And he's standing in front of Bohemets. Guys that are six, 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 seven offensive linemen, and it's amazing how he's so accurate getting the ball out the way he does. But it's a big year for him, and it's a big year for Kingsbury. Yes, it absolutely is because you also have to factor in that a lot of these other young receivers have not been able to develop. You were talking about Kirk; that was a big reason they had to let him go. Now, granted, some of that was injury, but still, they really didn't develop him properly. Even in 2019, when they weren't supposed to be as good of a team. Rondell Moore, another one that they haven't, they didn't, weren't able to use properly last season, and he had his opportunities too. They still have AJ Green there as a veteran, but still, Rondell Moore is going to be that guy in that modern type offense that should be able to get it going. Now, the defense is another big question mark for Arizona because they lost Chandler Jones, and you saw in the second half of the season last year their their pass rush really had a lot of trouble without Chandler Jones there. So, can they do that to overcome their deficiencies they still have in their secondary too, which is not a big strength of theirs either? Now. Linebacker, front seven depth, they have a pretty good ones. Jeff, Jeff's boy, Zayvon Collins. They don't have Chandler Jones there anymore no. either. They, Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, they're going to have to play a lot more. Jordan Hicks as well. They have depth over there, but the question is with the edge rushers because J.J. Watt's older now. He's not going to be able to be able to play every snap like he has been in years past too. They need another young guy to step up or maybe a platoon type guy. And that's up to you, Vance Joseph, to get that going because since he was fired from the Broncos as head coaching job, he's been kind of up and down as a defensive coordinator. And you're also your weakness is your offensive line. Now, they do have some pro bowlers on that line. But you have Kelvin Beecham, who's your starting tackle. He's an old man. I, I mean, he's an old, old man. I remember him playing for the Jets. Mm-hmm. He's a nice guy. I met him. Big, strong, funny guy. He's like 80 years old <laughs> in football years. So uh, that offensive line is questioned. And, and are they going to be able to protect Kyler Murray when he gets when when he gets the pressure from the better defensive teams in that division, like the 49ers, that could get to the quarterback? Guys like Nick Bosa coming at you. Who's going to stop him? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a very interesting 
uh, thought on what's going to happen when they play against these high-profile defenses. But I, I think the weakness of this team is their offensive line. Yeah, I, I do. I, 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 I'm actually scared for Kyler Murray. <laughs> Leave it to the, the Cardinals have the ex-Giants combo They've got, of guards. Yeah, they got Bill Hernandez have, and Justin Pugh. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say this: they have. Justin Pugh, who's a very good guard. I, I, he's a pro ball guard. He's one of the more underrated guards in the NFL. The rest of that line, I, I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, they got two old men on that line. Mm-hmm. They've got two rookies on that line. And they have Justin Pugh. <laughs> and you have Kyler Murray coming off a, an injury last year. The man has been in the league for, what, three years? He can't stay healthy because their offensive line can't protect him. And he has nobody to throw to in the beginning of the season because his two top wide receivers, well, one of them, Christian Kirk, is playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars because he got a $76 million contract (laughs) overpaid, and he's probably never going to live up to that contract. But nevertheless, you have two guys in Hopkins and Hollywood Brown that are not starting the season. They're going to be sitting out for a significant amount of time. I think Brown's out for four. And 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 I Brown's think not confirmed out yet. He but will he be out. Be. He, he is be. out. He's absolutely going to be out. There's no way they're going to let him play. And if he does, I'll be very surprised. Right. They're looking for the same kind of thing like with Marcus May. Nothing's confirmed yet, but something could happen. And the Cardinals. It's have to going be aware to happen. It's going to happen. There's no way he's going to start the season on this roster. And 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 as far as and so, uh, not, I'm sorry, Hopkins. Hopkins is out for six games for, which is crazy to say. He was doing steroids. Mm-hmm. I would have never thought Hopkins was doing any kind of steroids. And and that just takes away, is he a Hall of Famer now? Right. Was he doing steroids his whole career to be as as predominant as he was? I mean, this guy was as good as anybody in the league. Right. And you wonder, too, now with the way that the wide receivers, how many of them are out, too, if that's going to change the altering of how the offense is going to be run. Because Cliff Kingsbury is not somebody that likes to use all of his tight ends, all of his running backs at once either, too. And you might have to come to the point where that's going to happen. They traded for Zach Ertz last year. They still got uh, Max Williams, who's a pretty solid tight end. Are the Cardinals going to have to use more two tight end formations because of that? Is not something that Cliff Kingsbury is very comfortable with and not something that Kyler Murray is used to that kind of thing. So will that be a tough transition? Is that Trey McBride's an interesting one, too. They drafted him in the second round. Are they going to use him as a bigger bodied receiver? Would they use him as a tight end? You wonder that his kind of role in this offense, too. But especially with the defensive deficiencies and potentially offensive line, that's going to be Carl a Carl says question. Hopkins, no Hall of Fame. I, w- I would probably agree with him. Right now, yeah, that would be the case because he's had. You get caught with steroids in any other other sport, you're not, you don't make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's had a couple injury-riddled seasons recently. It doesn't matter. His numbers are enough to tell you that he's a Hall of Fame. I think his numbers, yeah, he's going to get he's gonna get there with that if he, uh, on that pace right now, because he had a down 2016. Granted, no quarterback play that. I think Brock Osweiler that year or so like it that. It doesn't matter. He, he's been an elite wide receiver. Absolutely. Seven out of the ten years he's, or eight or nine years he's played. Yeah. He's been as a, I mean, he was, I think he was up for rookie of the year, his, his rookie season. His first season, he took a while for him to get going. He was second Second season was his big year. That was his big breakout, 2014. And then 2015, he had a great year. And then 2017, through his first year with Arizona, before he got hurt then, he was thought of as the best wide receiver in football. So that's probably about a five-and-a-half, six-year great peak that you're looking at. That's probably right on the cusp. Football is pretty le- – not lenient, but they're pretty more fair in terms of letting him in the baseball. Honestly, so we'll honestly, if he wasn't caught with steroids, he's a Hall of Famer. Right. But that just makes – like you're saying, Carl, that case a little more borderline because of that. Now, could he still be that? He's yeah. not. He's well, not. He's not going to make the Hall of Fame because he did steroids. 
I'm telling you right now, there, there's no way the committee, the way they are. Look, look what they did to Kleckler. Well, sure. Look yeah. what they did to him. Look what, look, look, what he, what, look what they've done with some of these old players that should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, they, they've had some long overdue ones that are definitely deserving. Um, and, and, and Hopkins, who has been one of the more elite wide receivers in the league, he gets caught with steroids. And, and, and to me, they suspended him for six games. That's a, that's a huge loss for the Arizona Cardinals, and it's a huge loss for him because that might affect him from making the Hall of Fame. I think it is going to affect him from making the Hall of Fame. But uh, Arizona's an interesting season uh, team, and they might have an interesting season too. Here's another team that uh, I, I don't think the Seahawks are going to be anything. No, they but might be the worst team in the NFC. <laughs> here's another team in the NFC that, that really stands out, which could have a very, very good season. And everybody keeps talking about them and, and, and flushing them and, and thinking that they can't be that team. And I, I, I don't think they're going to be good. I, I really don't. Because as far as their roster is concerned, they're good. But they're, they have, I don't trust their quarterbacks. And that's the Saints. Okay. You know, I, I mentioned the Saints a little while ago. I love the way their team is set up. They don't have Peyton there anymore. Having a guy like Sean Peyton... I mean, that definitely benefits you as an organization because you have one of the best coaches, one of the best football minds in all of football. You don't have that anymore. You have a guy that's failed as a head coach with the Oakland Raiders, and he takes over the team. Now, he's a good defensive coordinator. I don't know if he's a head coach in the league, and we've seen this before. Coaches have gotten second chances, and they've, they, some of them have succeeded. Most of them haven't. A matter of fact... The majority of them haven't. Right. You know who's good, and and most of the good ones, they they usually have. You know, uh, they're usually either coaches still for the same teams, aka Bill Belichick and Andy Reid, or most of them are. You know, I guess they could say journeymen. Right. And 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 it just, I I was listening to uh, the the kid from uh, Bu- the Buccaneers saying that Todd Bowles is better than Bruce yeah, Arians. I was la- I was laughing when I heard that. I'm like, what? I, I mean, wow. Because Bruce Arians is coach of the year. Both. He was coach of the year back to back years uh, with Indianapolis when he took his team into the playoffs that shouldn't even make yeah, it. Nowhere close. And um, and then Ar- then he went to Arizona and he did what he did with Carson Palmer. Right. So it just I, I beg to differ. I think Bruce Arians is a great coach. I think he's he's definitely a head case. I mean, he's an interesting personality. Yeah. Uh, Todd Bowles is the opposite of what Bruce Arians is. Todd Bowles is quiet. He doesn't say much. He keeps to himself. He has that <laughs> stupid laugh. I mean, I, I met Todd. He's a nice guy. I think that his mistakes on the football field really stood out as a Jet fan. He made so many mistakes in the third and fourth quarter when the Jets needed a timeout or he punted the ball when you're, you're, you're fourth and one. You're down by three with two and a half minutes left and you have two timeouts and you punt the ball. It made no sense. None of the stuff that I've seen Todd Bowles do as a head coach with the New York Jets made any sense. And now he's over there with the Buccaneers. You have the best quarterback of all time, or one of the best quarterbacks of all time. You have a great roster and you have a great team. You were pretty much inherited a team that uh, your, your old buddy over there was running. And now I, I think there's, this could be a complete, I don't know, this could be a complete bust. I, 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 
Todd Bowles could very much lose the job to Byron Leftwich yeah. early in the season. Uh-huh. I mean, if Todd Bowles doesn't know what the hell he's doing, this team goes 0 and 2, 0 and 3. I mean, 0 and 3, yeah. I, management not. might say, you know what? You're fired. You're, you're, you're going back to the defensive corner. We're bringing Byron up. Byron's going to run this team. <laughs> I mean, because. In season swap. Yeah, I, like I, I, could see, I could see it happening. I. I I can't not conventionally trust. think, but why not? I can't trust Todd Bowles. If you're if if you know anything about Todd Bowles, if you're a Jet fan, you know that Todd Bowles made so many mistakes with the Jets mm-hmm. defensively. That's where his strength was, and he's a great defensive coordinator. What he did for Arizona, what he did with the Buccaneers, you know, when they won the Super Bowl, everything that he did, he he's a smart, you know, defensive coordinator. He's just not a great coach. Right. He can't run a roster. He doesn't know anything about special teams, and he doesn't know anything about offense. We all know that. So it, it's it's scary when you when you look at some of these defensive coordinators and are, are they going to succeed or are they going to fail? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times he had a very talented defenses too to work with on those Arizona teams too. Surprise team this year. Who, who's your surprise team, Speedy? Who's going to shock everybody? And and possibly squeak into the playoffs. I think one of them definitely. I think one of them definitely could be the Saints. I know a lot of people are down on them. I still like them a lot. I know. I know the team culture thing is definitely one that is still strong there with Dennis Allen. I think they could be that last wild card team. Uh, if Arizona falls off, that's the one. Maybe they're the question mark of those potential teams in that mix. So I think if that's the case, the Saints definitely are going to be that team that leaps in at that point because I don't trust anyone else in the NFC East. I know you like the Commanders, but I still have a lot of questions with their injury concerns and I think in the in the south the Panthers could be but Matt Rule like you're saying all the time sometimes he's there's games where he doesn't know what the hell he's doing I don't know if I have that kind of thing with Dennis Allen because like you were saying with with the Islanders with Lane Lambert and Barry Trotz yeah you're stepping down big time from Sean Payton to Dennis Allen but it's a lot of the same concepts a lot of the same system going on there so that's different Lambert was under you know Barry Trotz's whole career he he knows how Barry Trotz runs his offense and his defense and that's the way he's going to play. I, I mean, he he was under Sean Payton for what two years? Uh, no, he's been there for six years. It's just a matter of the Saints' defense really didn't. Was get... he under there for six? Yeah, years? Yeah, he's been there a while. The problem is the Saints' defense was so just poorly drafted. Outside of they, they drafted some good defensive linemen. Are and you stuff sure like that. six years? I because I remember he was the Raiders' coach a couple of years. He was ago. the Raiders' coach from 2012 to 14, I believe it was. Was it that long? Yeah, and then I think he got the Saints' defensive coordinator wow. job a couple years later. And the problem is their defense. I was didn't just, realize it was that they, long ago. Their defense. They brought in so many bad free agents. They couldn't find a corner to save their life. <laughs> they couldn't find a corner to save their life. Which in a passing league, you can't you can't survive if you have a terrible corner group. And I'm reading what Snug said. Special teams. They aren't all as special, that special. I will say this. Teams have won. If you don't have a good special teams that could cost you a win, that could cost you three or four wins, that could cost you a playoff game, you need good special teams. I think special teams is the most important in the playoffs. I Even more than offense, even more than defense. Because all it takes is one kick. If you have a hot field goal kicker, ask the Bengals, a guy that doesn't miss, or... Even uh, re- punt returners and stuff like that, that wins your ball games because most of the teams that make the playoffs have very good defensive teams. Most of them do. Mm-hmm. That can keep you off the board. That's going to keep you down fit, you know, to 17 or under points. It, it, very rare do you see teams like um, the Buffalo Bills do what they did to the Patriots last year in the right. playoffs. You don't see that. 
Okay, and it was snowing. That was one of the main reasons why uh, the Patriots got their butts whipped. I, I do not believe that if they met again this year, even with the rosters the way they are, that Buffalo would cream the Patriots the way they did yeah, that was in, in the playoff game. Because Bill Belichick is the mastermind. He always finds ways in, in his second half of the game, if he's down, to find ways to come back. And they fell so behind so early, there was no chance for them to come back because they like to run the ball. So a lot of these teams are predominantly run first. So... Uh, you know, we talk about, like, even in the AFC, uh, NFC, let's go through the NFC right now. The Giants are run first. The Eagles are run first. The Bears are always run first. Oh, yeah. The Packers, no, I think they're throw first. They're throw first, but they're Lions run first. Time, Vikings run first. Panthers, uh, I would say run first with McCaffrey. Falcons, no. No. Uh, the Saints run first. Kamara. Buccaneers run first, even with Tom Brady. They like to run the ball with Fournette and the weapons that they have. 49ers run first. Cardinals run first. Rams run first. Seattle run first. I mean, practically all the NFC teams are run first. Cowboys run first. (laughs) I mean. The Cowboys run twice and then uh, have a third and long. (laughs) It's the AFC that it's throw first, except the Jets. The Bills are throw first. The Dolphins are throw first. The Patriots are run. The Ravens are, I, I would run. Steelers are throw. Well, actually, they're run. They've always been a run. The Browns are a, a run first team. Then the Bengals are throw. Uh, the Texans, well, Luke has been the Texans. <laughs> the Titans were, uh, I would say they were throw first last year. Well, when Derrick Henry was hurt, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but they're a run first team. The Colts are a throw first team. Even though they have Jonathan Taylor, they're a throw first team. Right, Taylor took a while to get going last Yes, season. they're a throw first team, even with Jonathan Taylor there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jaguars are going to be a throw-first team. Um, the Raiders are a throw-first team. The Broncos are a throw-first team. The Chiefs are a throw-first team. And the Chargers are a throw-first team. So the AFC is more with the wide receivers and the weapons that they have. It's it's the NFC that they, you look at the the breakdowns, and it's it's more run than throw. Right. Not so, a lot of great wide receiver cores in that NFC, and that's why a lot of those. Well, NFC, the Rams have some. The, uh, like I, w- I would say, the Rams in terms of a raw wide receiving core, not just one guy. The Rams have a good one. Uh, the Rams have a great one. The Vikings have a very good one. I would say. Um, I would say the 49ers have a good one. Tampa's got a very good one when it's healthy. They, uh, them and the Rams are probably one no, and I'm two. No, I'm not saying, like, even in the NFC, yeah. they have weapons. They have wide receiving weapons and tight end weapons. But if you look at their rosters and what they like to do, and, and Todd Bowles, he's a run-first coach. He, he always – I asked. The, I, I know, I, I'm a Jet fan. Hmm. He always ran the ball first to second, and even sometimes third downs for yep. some reason. <laughs> yep. he, he's, he's a run-first coach, even with Mike Evans there and the weapons that they have there. I'm telling you, they're going to run the ball a lot to Leonard Fournette and, and the weapons the, – the running backs that they have over there on that roster. They're not going to throw first. So it's just – it's going to be interesting. I think the NFC is going to be – there's going to be a lot of low-scoring games. There's going to be a lot of low-scoring games in the NFC. In the AFC, I think there will be a lot of high-scoring games. Mm-hmm. So – because the, there's just so many weapons in the AFC. I don't know. It, it, it is so interesting to see where the this season is going to lie. And my surprise team is the Commanders. Okay. I, I – I, I don't like the Washington organization. I think their owner is an idiot, and I he needs to be he needs to be gone from that organization. Worst owner in professional sports, a hundred percent. But I I 
I really like the Washington Commanders. I, I think they're going to be a lot better than people think they're going to be. I think they have weapons. I think their defense is a lot better than on paper that people think. And they have a good offensive line. And I think they have a quarterback that can get the ball to the wide receivers. So um, I think they could surprise a lot of people this year. Now, it doesn't mean they're a playoff team. I don't think they're a playoff team, but uh, they could be a borderline. Yeah, I, I can, can see them being like the second team They can team win out. eight or yeah. nine games. Mm-hmm. I think they can. Yeah, I do too. I think they could be like the second team out. I'm, I'm kind of the, – the, the playoff races with the – I don't care what the beef says. I, I don't think the Cowboys are as good as anybody nope. thinks they are. <laughs> they are also going to be eight and nine and collapse they, in the you, second half of the season. Did you see that they signed Jason Peters? Yep. <laughs> I, there had to be a reason why the Eagles didn't resign him, okay? And I saw that Nithin posted that up, that Jason Peters was of course signed he by, did. The, by the, the Cowboys. The Lord and Savior of the Cowboys' offensive line is almost 40 years old. Do you think, and, and Nithin, I, I'd like to ask you this question. Do you think that all 30 other teams weren't interested in J- Jason Peters? There was a reason why? Mm-hmm. I mean, how was he sitting on the waiver block for the last, I don't know, three months, and and you give him pennies to to sign with the the Cowboys, yeah. there was a reason why nobody wanted him. The man is in his mid thirties. He's almost forty. I think he's thirty nine. And listen, Dwayne, you're going to say Dwayne Brown is too, but Dwayne Brown was a Pro Bowl player last year. He was one of the best tackles in the league last year. He was a top ten tackle. As a matter of fact, Jason Peters is forty years old now. I I, I mean, I understand the Cowboys lost. Um, Smith, possibly for the season, but to take on a liability like Peters, I, I hope Peters has a good season because, like I said, he, he's an old man, but and he's been a Hall of Fame, of, uh, you know, offensive lineman. He's going to the Hall of Fame, but I think his career is over. Right. The fact I thought he thought he was going to retire, and in the Cowboys, yeah, there were a lot of rumors of that. Also, him and Jason Kelsey, there were a lot of rumors that they were going to retire in the off season. But he stayed. They, he stayed in. Jason Kelsey went back to the Eagles, and now, uh, obviously, Peters with the Cowboys. He played with the Bears last year, played all right, but he was more of a guard. And the Cowboys, they're going to have to use him as a tackle because, yeah, they have no Smith. I just, I, I don't know what the Cowboys are doing. Nobody does. Jerry Jones loves popularity and flashiness and doesn't actually go for smart football moves. What are they going to do at the wide receiving position? I mean, they were talking with the Jets about Denzel Mims, and then the hmm. conversations completely disappeared. They they stopped talking. Yeah. And, and right now, you can get Denzel Mims probably, if, if you want to make the Jets happy, a fourth-round draft pick. Right. That's what I heard the market value has been to this point. Why don't you make that trade? Yeah. You have one C.D. Lamb and nobody else for the start of the season. You, you're, you're really starting with your backs, you know, turned around. And, and, and you're going to depend on Zeke and Pollard to do all the offensive, all, all the offense for this team early in the season. It doesn't make sense. Pollard might have to play a lot of wide receiver in the slot because they don't really have a true slot receiver either. It doesn't make sense. I, I, I don't know what the Cowboys are going to do. And this is a very big year for Mike McCarthy. Oh, yeah. This Huge. is a big year for him because Sean Payton is glooming and, and, and not, not glooming. I'm sorry. Wrong word. Looming on taking that job away from them because I believe that no matter what ha- – if, if the, the Cowboys don't get out of the first round this year, <laughs> he is fired. And I, I predicted this before. I, told, I know you did. I told the Beav that he'd be lucky if he lasts that first contract. He is, he's going to be fired. And he told me, you don't know what I'm, talk- what I'm talking about. Now he wants him out. He thought he was going to get fired last year. 
Okay, that was the B. That was the uh, the Cowboy fans. Now, because Peyton is available, and 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 again, they're going to have to give away possibly a first round draft pick, correct, to get Sean Peyton. They're going to have to give up something because he's still under contract with the with the um, with the Saints. With the still, Saints. They sold the rights to him. Yeah, and and right he, that's three years he signed an extension with them. So uh, you're still going to have to give up a significant. Maybe I don't know about a first round, but. Probably a second and a third or something like that. But you're going to have to give up a significant amount back for a guy like Sean Payton. Is Sean Payton the answer for your team to win? I mean, he's a coach. It may have to be below with a first round because who says the Cowboys are the only team that's going to be intrigued on Sean Payton if he becomes available? Well, I think again. Sean. I think Sean Payton wants to be a Cowboy. I mean, that was his dream job. Possibly, but again, who's, it was either it, them or the Giants, and now the Giants. Yeah, have a coach. I remember that in 2016. I wanted yeah. them for the Giants when the, I didn't think those rumors were realistic. No, but it after, was real. But was after, real. but after Coughlin, uh, after the whole Coughlin debacle in the front office, I wanted somebody like there that. There was to... there was a lot of real conversation that Sean Payton would have taken the Giants' job. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he was still under contract, and he still had Drew Brees there. Right. So he wasn't leaving Drew Brees unless Drew Brees was going to the Giants, Correct. which wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So, um. I think the two dream jobs that he had, remember he started his career with the Giants and under Bill Parcells, yep. and then he went to the Cowboys as the offensive coordinator over there uh, for Bill Parcells. So he's his career was Giants, Cowboys, then Saints. So I believe that his goal was to take one of those jobs eventually. I think the Cowboys is not a laughable thought. I, I, I think that... He, I think he will be looking to take a job over, and I think it will be the Cowboys. I, I really do. Him and Jerry have uh, you know, a good relationship, and I could see Jerry Jones giving him the reins on the players he wants on that roster. He better the way that Jerry Jones has been managing players recently. Yeah, not ideal. Why not? Sean Payton's one of the smarter guys in the NFL, one of the best offensive minds in football. Uh, he needs a quarterback. I don't know if Dak's the guy, uh, but I like Dak Prescott. I've always, I always have. I just, they were, especially in the playoff game, I don't blame Zach. I mean, I'm Zach. I don't, play, I don't blame Dak Prescott for getting himself into the trouble that he was in the fourth quarter with two minutes left. But the way he, you know, he, he decided to run when he should have just threw the ball away or something like that. Or go down earlier. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a very dumb play. And it, he put his team, you know, he lost the game for his team. But the play call was also atrocious, too. That's that why was, everyone wanted Mike McCarthy fired. Well, Mike McCarthy will be fired. The only problem, the only reason why they didn't fire Mike McCarthy is because Sean Payton wasn't uh, available this, this offseason. He said that he was going to sit out for the season. He's going to spend time with his family. So I expect next season will be the year that they fire Mike McCarthy no matter what. And, and I'm telling you right now, the only name you're going to hear is Sean Payton. That's it. Snug says, if you'd like to reach out to Earl via text him up at 867-5309. Carl asks, Errol, worst text to receive, one from Tyler or one from the beef? Tyler. Mm-hmm. That's what I figured. Stuck says, "I think JJ Watt will be applying for his uh, AARP song card." I, I will give you. I will give a secondary answer to the Tyler thing. Oh, um, Tyler is an interesting convert. You know, when, when you're having a conversation with Tyler, it's more interesting than the beef. I mean, you know what the beef is going to talk about. I mean, honestly, the first thing I say when I call the beef up is is something funny. But I'm not going to say on live radio, but. 
the beef is mainly he, he he doesn't really talk about sports. He talks about you know other things that are going on, but Tyler, it, it's he's he's a unique personality. He's stupid, and some of the things that me and him argue on the phone about sports is something that is a must listen to because he just has his own opinion towards things that don't make sense. You know, it, none of the stuff that comes out of Tyler's mouth makes any sense. It really doesn't. I mean, uh, he doesn't talk about coastal no, but <laughs> I, I mean, Tyler just doesn't make any sense on his arguments on anything that he talks about. Like when he brings up about Baker Mayfield, when he thought Baker Mayfield was going to be the second best quarterback in all of football and then he came back after the season when he was one of the worst. And Tyler made his arguments to the argument of why he thought that. It, it made no sense. None of it made sense. And he argued not making sense to the argument when you want to make you want to make it make sense. You understand what I'm saying? Carl says, with Tyler, you need a Grubhub link as your tagline of all messages. <laughs> it just it, Tyler just doesn't make sense. His arguments. It just... It, it it sometimes gets lost in the conversation, you know, like he, I will say this, his arguments sometimes are must listen to because he's got so much personality and pizzazz to him. You love, you love that, you know, that authentic type of person that he is, but the other things about Tyler just scare the hell out of you. You just do like, where are you going with this argument? Like, where's the, just, stupid stuff that comes out of his mouth but nevertheless Tyler I, he's must you know he, he's must listen to um, him thinking that the Green Bay Packers are going to be 7 and 10 is is an absolute joke I'm not sure if that's actually confirmed the beef might have been just joking about that but no, I w- it wouldn't be surprising if he thought I, that I, way, I have though. to check out Tyler's Twitter because I'm sure he did something on Twitter but yeah I would predict that he wouldn't beef wouldn't make something like that up so <laughs> Carl says, can the Cardinals find a way to get Rondell Moore more involved, or he's just not going to be good in the NFL? Yeah, as we were discussing before, this is his best chance now with Hopkins suspended, and for an undersized guy, he's going to have to make a statement as it is if he wants to stay on that team. Uh, Snook says, beef all day. It'll be beef bitching because Errol was talking about his mom earlier in the show. Uh, how could he treat? How does Hopkins treat the media? That could make a difference. Uh, Snook says, the Cowboys. Carl says, DeAndre Hopkins has almost the same exact stats as A.J. Green. That is weird. Snug says Bill Belichick killed it. AJ his... Green's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Snug says Bill Belichick killed it in his second head coaching gig. Adam Gase is hands down the most interesting, entertaining head coach in the last of 20 years. Aaron Rodgers didn't go out on special teams and the punt got blocked. I'm kidding about special teams. That's why you always have to kick her in the first round of fantasy. Uh, that's because he is a Hall of Famer. Carl says, ha ha, speedy, then run on third and long. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. That's what Jason Garrett would do in that situation. Mm. Snug says, a Dan Snyder, Kyrie Irving podcast would be fascinating. Oh, God. <laughs> no one cares what the beef says. They will sign Jason Witten out of retirement to move Zeke to the other White House spot. And, and, and here, here's the thing. The Giants restructured Leonard Williams' contract. Who cares? Nobody cares. I, we all know that Leonard Williams is overpaid. He has been an overpaid player. He had one good year with the Giants where he had 12 and a half, 13 sacks. Yeah. He was a Pro Bowl player that year. And, and he did that his first, what, two years with Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon, uh, Shel- Sheldon Richardson. Richardson. Because he had two other linemen that were just as big as he was. 
Leonard Williams is one of the biggest busts ever drafted. I remember him coming out of USC and everybody saying that he was the most talented player coming out of draft. And, and, and he fell to the Jets at number four, and everybody was, like, so excited to get, you know, somebody like Leonard Williams. He's been a big bust. He, with his size and his speed and his ability, he, he really hasn't developed. And don't, I, I don't want to hear about the Jets because he played under Rex Ryan, Okay. Right? It was on direct right? No, no, no Todd no, Balls. It was Todd sorry, Balls' Todd first Balls. year. I'm sorry. It was Todd Balls. Uh, but even with Todd Balls, a great defensive mind. A great defensive mind. I, I was thinking Muhammad Wilkerson would. Yeah, do he it. was Rex Ryan. Yes. For sure. But uh, he was under Todd Balls, a very good defensive mind who has, has made you know good pass rushers. This is a guy that has underachieved. And he, 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 got, he got paid by the Giants in the offseason two years ago because of the good season that he had. And the Giants, they gave up, a, you know, they gave, I think they gave up a. They gave up a three, three and, and I a think four. a four that became, or a five that became a, a four. four. They gave up a three like and a four to the Jets. or something like that. And, and the Jets, I don't know what those three and four, you know, four players became. But nonetheless, Leonard Williams is a bust and overpaid. So nobody cares about that. Uh, the Odell Beckham thing. Nobody knows where Odell Beckham is going. Now, he did not sign with the Rams, okay? He, he's not going to be back until the second half of the season. Right. Now, if a team loses, loses a wide receiver, who's to say the Cowboys don't make a move and bring him in? Mm-hmm. You know? Who's to say the Giants? If the Giants are in a playoff spot and they need a wide receiver, somebody, Kadarius, Tony gets hurt, they don't bring him in. You know, there there are many different teams that might be looking for a star wide receiver in the second half of the season because they lost somebody to a torn ACL or an Achilles or hurts his shoulder. I mean, the fact that people are saying that he thinks that he's going to go back there, why does the Rams want him? They don't need him. Probably more of a culture guy, but yeah, they're not, he's not going to play much even if he does play. They don't need him. Allen Robinson is, is, is honestly, and I'm not taking shots at Odell Beckham, and I like Odell. Allen Robinson had a really bad year because of look at the team that he was on. Yeah. Allen Robinson is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He really is. The fact that he signed that contract, that they, he took that contract with the Rams, was a steal. Yep. It was a steal. He might have a better year than Cooper Cup. And that's crazy to think, but... Cooper Cup's going to be double and triple teams. Teams know that. Allen Robinson, Robinson is dangerous, and he is good. And with that, with that line and with the, the weapons that they have, he's going to be open. So it's, I, I'm telling you right now, I, I wanted to draft him in my last draft uh, with the Beavs draft. He was drafted pretty early. I was surprised. He was, I think, he was drafted in the fifth did round. He, did he go before you took Thielen? Because I, yes, I, I've seen them kind of around the same area. He went in the I fifth like, round, and I like Thielen a little more for the value. But yeah, Robin yeah. said if if I think he might, it might take him a little while. But once he gets going in that scheme, could be really. Allen Robinson will have a better year than Thielen. Okay, I believe it. On that team with those weapons, they're gonna be they're gonna be a high fly. The Rams are as long as Matthew Stafford stays healthy. Correct. I agree with you, Carl. Yes. Allen Robinson catches everything that's thrown to him. He just was on a bad Chicago Bears team last year, and the year before that. That was a even even the year that he had like twelve hundred yards. That team was nineteen. Hor- yeah. Nineteen. I'm sorry, they were horrible. Yeah, and he still had twelve hundred yards. He was one of the best wide receivers in the league. 
he is explosive and he's fun to watch. And on a team with this much weapons, I, I, it's hard to believe that they're not going to be they're not going to be one of the best offenses in a league. Unless Matthew Stafford is really hurt right. and he's not, nobody's speaking up on how bad his shoulder is. Right. But I, everything that I've read is Matthew Stafford was resting his shoulder all summer long. And that he'll be ready for the season. I expect that. Matthew yeah. Stafford has played hurt. I've seen him play with broken fingers. Okay. He taped it up in a playoff game. So I expect him to go out there and play hard uh, for the Rams and, and expect him to try to make a, you know, a repeat. I, I, there's not many teams in that NFC that's ch- going to challenge them. Yep. It really isn't. I mean, uh, they're Honestly, as far as talent is concerned, they're the most talented team in the in, in the NFC. I mentioned on the weekend crunch. I think this is as strong of a chance as any team has ever had to repeat, just because of the off season we'll dynamics. Super Bowl. I don't know yeah. if they're going to win. No, no, no. I know. I agree with you on that. I'm talking about repeat as their conference champions, just because they didn't lose a lot of players. Normally, you see Super they got Bowl better. champions. Yeah. They got better. Normally, you see Super Bowl champions lose a lot of players because they seek out the big contract because they just won the Super Bowl. Honestly, you didn't see that. Honestly, if you would ask me right now. Who would I rather, Von Miller or Wagner? I'm taking Wagner. Wagner's more of a need for them. It's absolutely the better move for them because they have better, not like top edge rushing depth, but they have enough edge rushing depth with the players they've drafted the last couple of years. Granted, not a lot of... They have Aaron Donald. That's all they need. That's all they need. Well, obviously, but in terms of the edge rushing depth, that's actually a bigger strength for them than their middle linebacker. The middle linebacker position was actually thought of as one of their weaknesses last year. They have arguably the best defensive player in the league. They have arguably the best corner on on their defense. They have arguably now one of the top three linebackers in the league. Okay? I mean, that defense is stacked. It it is a good defense, flying defense. And, And by the way, Wagner really never sits out. He he plays hard. The man doesn't really sit out. If you look at his career, I think he's missed... I think he's been in a league for, what, nine years? This is his, I think, 11th year. 11th year? Yeah. I think he's been... You know, I think he's missed... The most games he's missed in a season was, like, five. Okay? The man stays healthy every single year. And the guy's in great shape. So, and I think he's got another two years left in him. In him, in him at least. Uh, and he signed a three-year deal. Yeah, the only the only year he played less than fourteen games was two thousand fourteen. He played eleven. Mm-hmm. Every other year he's played fifteen or sixteen games. He's, he's elusive and he he could do everything. Um, and the only year he wasn't a Pro Bowler were his first two years of his career. I mean, career. they had the best off season. Honestly, the Rams lose a Super Bowl championship team. They bring in two Pro Bowl players. Mm-hmm. Two. Not one, but two. And if somehow Odell Beckham decides to go back there, I mean, is that fair? I mean, seriously, Odell Beckham, Allen Robinson, and Cooper Cup at the line of scrimmage. Van Jefferson's pretty good. And, I'm sorry, and Van Jefferson, who I drafted in my in the Beavs League. At, okay, in the final, yeah. It was my final Late pick. Late sleeper, yep. Why not? Yeah, it's a good one to hit on. But, wide receiver threes do well in their system. I, I mean, that's not fair. I mean, and they have two really good running backs in Henderson and uh, Aker. Yep. So, and it's just Cam Aker, yep, yep. Full season. It's a full or, season. Well, you would think, but at least it'll start the season. Uh, who knows? Because I thought Henderson had a really good season before he got hurt. Henderson is always a really good value, like as a as a guy that is a pass-catching guy, receiving guy, versatile guy that is a perfect fit for any offense. And the Rams used him in that role. He's not going to be like an every-down guy, but he's no. good for everything like that. That What the Rams need him to be to try to create some deception, even more deception than their already creative offense has. 
So we talked a lot about football. We've spoken a lot about football in this show, uh, and we're going to speak a lot more in Thursday's show. I want to get into the other stories that we were going to get into. Uh, uh, reports that stem that the Knicks executive, Gerson Rosas, Rosas, uh, who used to work for the Jazz, was the main negotiator for the Donovan Mitchell trade story. Now, as a Nick fan, okay, you're probably very, very upset that they did not get Donovan Mitchell. I'm one of those guys. I was not happy when they lost the sweepstakes. He goes over there to the Cleveland Cavaliers where they're young with with Garland and, and Mobley and Kevin Love. They have arguably the best starting lineup in the Eastern Conference. I mean, that's a very good starting lineup. And their bench... Uh, they could start Allen if they want, or they can get him off the bench. They have Karis LeVert, who's very good off the bench. That team is stacked. They're good, and they're young, and they're stacked. And you hear this story. If you're a Nick fan, you're not happy about it because you have a president in Rose who likes to speak out whenever he feels like it. He doesn't like to speak out in front of the press, but you, he, he has a writer that writes a story, and he, the writer writes for him as far as his words are concerned, and that, that's a big problem. Playing, you know, being that you're the president of the New York Knicks, you, you should be out talking to the press, but Leon Rose doesn't do that. But you hear this story where Gerson Rosas, this, this pisses me off. This is this upsets me. And this is why James Dolan, I know a lot of Nick fans don't want to hear this. James Dolan should have been involved with this Donovan Mitchell trade. James Dolan should have put his two cents involved in this trade. I know he probably told Leon Rose that he wouldn't get involved with the basketball operations. But this is a horrible story if you're a Nick fan. Because again, it's the same old Knicks. How do you let an all-star, all-world two-guard who wanted to be in New York go when you don't even use your your two-star executives in uh, World Wide West or Leon Rose or, heck, your GM? He doesn't get involved with this. You use a guy... That nobody even talks about. And Gerson Roses. I don't even know who he is. Okay? How does he negotiate the deal for Donovan Mitchell? Does that make sense? If you're a Nick fan today, does it, I, I'm sure half the Nick fans don't even know who Gerson is. They have no idea. I didn't know who he was until today. <laughs> I had no idea. Is that how I pronounce his name, Gerson? I don't even know. I don't even know Gerson? Or- Gerson is it's spelled very, it's like a Spanish spelling. Gerson Rosas. I'm not really sure. I didn't even know who he was until today either. Yeah, he was under a lot of other powerful people. He was with Houston with Daryl Morey, who's always going to be aggressive with his decisions. He was with Dallas with Mark Cuban, and he was with the Jazz, and most recently with the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are probably the only one that didn't have a super aggressive front office that he would have had some maybe a little bit of authority in. I mean, if you sit here today, and I know Carl will will have his own thoughts the, the way I am when it comes to the New York Knicks, and anybody that knows me knows I love the Knicks. I love them. I want to see the Knicks win. I want to see the Knicks win before any of my teams. I would love to see a championship that the New York Knicks finally win and they they, uh, they actually raise that that stupid trophy, okay? 
Oh, God, yeah, that trophy's the worst. <laughs> I, I've always wanted to see the Knicks hoist that trophy. Am I ever going to see it? Probably not in my time. Because this organization is a complete mess. This is a messy organization. You don't know who's going to spin the wheel and make the deal from this organization. It don't matter who the president is, who the vice president is, who's the owner of this team. And if the owner steps in, everybody wants to take shots at him. And the, the one time he should step in was this time, and he doesn't. Yeah, and you wonder in this situation where it was not necessarily super simple, but it seemed like it was the easiest transaction for the Knicks to be able to push harder for it. He wanted to be a Nick. Yeah. And he had no interest in being a Cavalier, even though he loved to post. And if you go check out his post on Twitter, when he, when he heard the news that he was going to Cleveland, he was on a golf course, and he was jumping for joy because he's going to get a chance to play with Garland. He's going to get a chance to play with Mobley and Kevin Love. Oh, I have a chance to win. And he has a better chance to win with the Cavaliers than the Knicks, but he never wanted to go to Cleveland. Right. He listed the Heat, the Nets, and the Knicks. Nobody wants to go to Cleveland. Right. So you're, Except LeBron. You're, right. You're judging a case where, in, the, in that case, that the Knicks really shouldn't have been able to like be too cute with it, too. Now, obviously, Danny Ainge was going to make things tougher on the Knicks than everybody else because he hates the Knicks. But even amidst that, you, the I Knicks, don't think it had anything to do with Danny Ainge. I'm, I'm not this on. particular story, no. But the instances where you don't have your guy that's a, a third executive on that team being the primary negotiator does not bode well. Not to mention somebody also previously worked with Utah that maybe has some respect for people in their front office and doesn't want to necessarily try to go hardball on them either. In a situation where you're going to allegedly have to go hardball because, you know, Pat Riley with the Heat is going to go hardball in these negotiations. Atlanta was going to go hardball before they traded for DeJounte Murray. Their front office has been tough, too. I mean, the Nets, they didn't really have a shot. And then you really had a case where there's always going to be that other sleeper teams that are going to be in there. The Knicks had to push for the thing that they had the best chance of going for, and they kind of got too cute with it. Now, granted, Danny Ainge is petty, and he's going to want to screw the Knicks, too. So that has still to hurt had a nothing bit. to do with Danny it's Ainge. Still, it's still something I've that... Read, I have read different <laughs> Stories from different writers saying that Danny Ainge had nothing to do with the negotiations. No, not directly with Rosas. And that's the thing that the Knicks have to blame themselves for in that case, where if you're not dealing with Danny Ainge and you're dealing with a relatively new GM and you're also dealing with other executives that are pretty new since Dwayne Wade got there, that's where you have to realize you have a, a, a tactical advantage in the negotiations. If you're not being the one directly dealing with Danny Ainge, yes, Danny Ainge will have some leverage, understandable, but if he's not directly in the negotiations, you should have an edge. No, let's put our third executive in there. So that's smart. I mean, everything that you said I would agree with, but the fact is, is that Danny Ainge had nothing to do with this. I know a lot of Knicks fans want to believe it. And I did, you know, last week think that Danny Ainge had something to do with it. But I, I, I've, I've spoken some inside sources with the Utah Jazz. And we should try to get it in, uh, uh, one of these writers to come on, these jazz writers, to come on our show and, and really ask them the questions. But everything that I've read and I, I've spoken to two other people that have been inside sources to the NBA have told me, Danny H. had nothing to do with this trade. I mean, he, he overlooked it. He probably gave him his thoughts. And maybe Danny Ainge wanted to give the, neck, give the Knicks a little bit of a you know, more, more of a headache yes. than, than most GMs probably would have. But right. Danny Ainge had nothing to do with this. This was, the Knicks, this was the Knicks' fault. Because, honestly, you sit here today and you wonder... Where this organization is today. And honestly, 
This team and this organization is a losing organization. They're not even making the playoffs this year. Even adding Jalen Brunson, who's going to give them that point guard depth that they've been waiting for for a long time. How much better is this point guard position going to be? Derrick Rose gave you, when he came for the first time, he came to the Knicks, about 15, 16 points. That's what Jalen Brunson's going to give the Knicks. And Derrick Rose, if he stays healthy this year, off the bench is going to give you 12, 13 points. So how much better is Jalen Brunson is from Derrick Rose? Not a lot. Okay? He's a younger Derrick Rose. That's what he is. Derrick Rose was an MVP. He was one of the best players in the league at one point. Jalen Brunson was never an MVP or a candidate to be an MVP. So, I, I mean... I don't know what this team is anymore. And I, as a Nick fan, I, I love RJ. I did not want to trade RJ Barrett, but no. And I, I, I'm happy for that. But you had a chance to get Donovan Mitchell, one of the top 12 players in all of the NBA. And he wanted to play for your team. And you gave up on it because you decided, Leon Rose not to negotiate the deal, to have some Rosas guy sit there and talk for you and talk for the organization. And then I heard, this is another thing I heard, that the Knicks bluffed. They told the Jazz, we're giving you 24 hours to decide if you want to deal with R.J. Barrett. After that, we are going to re-sign R.J. and he's off the table. Mm. And they knew that. And after that, they never heard from the Jazz again. There was never another sit-down where they can negotiate another deal. There was nothing. The Cavs reached out. The Cavs had a negotiation. The Cavs gave up the players that they wanted, the picks that they wanted, and it was sold. So the Knicks lost out on a player that wanted to be here. And that is what upsets me more than anything because there's not many players that want to play for the Knicks. The last player to do that was Carmelo Anthony. Right. And now you're hearing that Carmelo Anthony wants to come back. Why do we want Carmelo Anthony? They said he would have came back if Mitchell was traded there, is the rumor I was hearing. I mean, why would we want Carmelo Anthony back? Why? So we can hear his complaining <laughs> with Julius Randle not touching the ball? Him coming off the bench and shooting up duds yeah. and bricks? I was to say, he's not going to have that much power in terms of trying to make those comments. I, I mean... I know his son's growing up. I know his son lives in New York. So does his his ex-wife. And his family lives over here. So I know he wants to come back to New York. I don't want him back here. Let him go to Brooklyn. I think he's better off there. I I don't want Carmelo. That would be the perfect Nets move. I agree. Well, I can see the Nets doing that. (laughs) Absolutely. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. But he's still available. That is the ideal Brooklyn Nets move that they would do. I don't think anybody signed him yet. No, no one signed him yet. So I, I think he will be signed by somebody, and why not the Brooklyn Nets? I don't want him as a, as a Nick fan. I I want to see my young players play. Right. I want to see Grimes. If The the kicker is they didn't want to trade Grimes. So you know who should be starting in, in week one and game one? Grimes. Quinn Grimes should be starting. He should be your starting two guard. I don't want to see Fournier. I don't want to see these guys on the court anymore. I'm, I'm done with it. I'm so done with watching these old players come and play and throw up and, and lose these games for the New York Knicks organization. I want to see our young players. I want to see Obi Toppin play 30 minutes a game. 
I want to see Quigley play 25 minutes a game. I want to see Grimes play 30 minutes a game. If they believe Grimes could be a star in this league and he was a steal in the draft, which I believe he could be, he could be. I think he's a great shooter. I think he's one of the best shooters the Knicks have had in a very long time since Allen Houston. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how good of a shooter he is. He can he can make his own shot. He doesn't have to you know catch the ball and shoot. He can drive. You know he's a good ball handler. He's very good. He's a good defensive player. He's a good two way player. Why isn't he starting? You're not going to trade him for Donovan Mitchell. He better start. That's going to be a reality check for Tom Thibodeau, too, for a guy that wore out his veteran players last year. Maybe to learn, ooh, let's play guys that actually are younger, have fresh legs, and more stamina. That should be an obvious thing that the Tom Thibodeau has to look at. Josh Silverberg said it best. You don't trade Quinn Grimes, you play him. Yeah. You play him. There, there were games. He had a couple of really good games last year. I think he scored like 25 points in one game. I think he had 22 in another game. I mean, there were three or four games that he had really good games. He had six three-pointers, I think, in one game, too. I mean, why isn't he playing? It's, this team is not – this roster is not good enough to not play some of their young players. Obi Toppin had two 40-point games this year when he, when he actually played over 30 minutes. Yeah. Why isn't he playing? Because of Julius Randle? At least have him play at least have him having him play either that many minutes or that play more against the starters too. Because when he played against the starters, he was better too than Julius Randle was playing at the raw four position. Randall was fine at the three in certain games too. And Randall had rebounds, understandable, but he's Shooting efficiency was awful. Obi Toppin was efficient last year, too, amidst all that. And Grimes, ideal 3 and D guy that they definitely could fit into that starting rotation very easily. Or at least as a six-man that plays a lot of minutes, too. You know what I want to see this year? I want to see Brunson start. I want to see Grimes as my 2. I want to see RJ as my 3. Toppin as my 4. Mitchell as my Mm 5. Randall coming off the bench. I don't, I don't care what he's getting paid. And it's not going to happen because they're going to play Julius No, Randall. I don't think it's going to happen either. But, but. I, I hope he gets hurt. I, I, don't want, I don't want him to you know, be permanently injured. But I want to see Julius Randle get hurt. I want to see my young players play. I want to see what the Knicks are as an or, you know Where these young players are falling. Because if Grimes turns out to be a great player, not a star, but a great player, and so does Toppin, there's your future right there. R.J. Toppin and Grimes. Then you can... That will draw one of these veteran superstars to come and play there. Somebody else will be available in the trade. There's always three, an average of three NBA players per season that want out or demand a trade. I mean, if you if you have those guys and you have Brunson there for the next three years, who's young too, 25 years old, who could tur- turn into a pretty good point guard, and you could get like a Anthony Davis or something for cheap. You don't even have to really. I mean, you might have to give away. You have so many draft picks. Give away like three, four unprotected picks for Anthony. I would do that. You bring in Anthony Davis as your center. Anthony Davis, and you trade Mitchell Robinson in that trade to go to the Lakers. Why not? Give Anthony Davis, Obi Toppin, R.J. Barrett, Grimes, and Brunson. That's a pretty good young five. But we have to see what these kids are. And I don't know if Tom Thibodeau's the guy. And that's why. And I'm going to say it again. And I, I'll say it. There was a reason why Kenny Atkinson did not take that job. He had a chance to take that Charlotte job. That Charlotte job is very interesting. It's a good job. I mean, you have some good young players there. And you have arguably one of the best young point guards in the NBA in LaMelo Ball. And he's good with point guards. So why didn't he take that job? Why did he decide to stay with the Golden State Warriors as an assistant coach again? 
because there has to be a reason. Now, my opinion is that he has a very good connection with Leon Rose, and he was one of the guys that Leon Rose was very interested in hiring before he hired Tom Thibodeau. He was actually the one I wanted at the time. And if Tom Thibodeau doesn't make the playoffs this year Mm. for a second year in a row, I believe Tom Thibodeau will be out. And you know what that means. I believe Kenny Atkinson will be in. And he will take over the New York Knicks as an organization. Yeah, especially if the team stays as young as they are right now. because He's great with young guys. Yeah, because he's fantastic with guys that were second-round picks and undrafted guys. And the Knicks have a couple of those on their team. Grimes was a late first-round pick. Uh, Miles McBride was a second-round pick. He's a good player, too. Quigley was a late, yeah, Quigley was a late first. Like, there's a couple that are, aren't those like flashy lottery picks. Obviously, R.J. Barrett was, but most of those guys it's aren't. Not, it's not a coincidence why Atkinson didn't take that job. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to say it again. And I, I was right about Tom Thibodeau, and I'm going to be right about this. I'll write a damn story. Oh uh, yes, make it make it into existence. I I believe Kenny Atkinson will be the next head coach for the New York Knicks. I believe it. The Knicks are going to be a very young team, and I think the you know besides the Julius Randle and the Fournier contract, I think the other contracts are absolutely great contracts. The Mitchell Robinson, fantastic contract. Yeah. I mean, the R.J. Barrett was a steal. Yeah, four years, hundred and twenty million for for a guy that could be a superstar in this league. I think that's a steal. Bronson was a good contract. A very doable contract for a starting point guard in the NBA. I mean, the Fournier, I don't know what they're thinking. It didn't make any sense. Um, the Randall, that contract, they they actually have, what is this? This is uh, year three? Year three, yep. So this is his last year, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is his last year on his contract. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why there were rumors he was going to be traded this offseason as that guy that was going to make the money work either with the Donovan Mitchell trade or any other trade that the Knicks were to make. The Julius, Julius Randle will not be back next year. No. Nah. They are not going to bring Julius Randle back. And that's why I think Julius Randle will be trade bait at the trade deadline. Yeah. They'll try to get – if Julius Randle starts the season very strong and teams need a, a, you know, a good power forward that's going to help you win or help you go into the playoffs – he will be an absolute sell for the New York Knicks. Right, which is why they're going to try to maximize his value. He's still going to start at least at the start of the season in order to do that because they know Obi Toppin has played well in the second half, and they know that they're going to try to get more out of these big men and also those power forward, fringe forward types that are on this roster too because they know that kind of thing to be happening. The Knicks weren't just coincidentally dangling Julius Randle for nothing because of that. They know that they can get good value out of him, and now barring an injury – and him playing like as catastrophically yep. inefficient as he was last season, then they're going to get that good value. Oh, I can't stand Julius still, Randall. But still, but still, he's going to spawn he value in other He is the king areas. of bricklaying. Yes. Okay? <laughs> he shot forty-one percent last year, and then he I missed mean, every clutch free throw match. He's well, yeah. horrible. I never liked him. I never liked him when the Knicks brought him in. I was I was surprised they gave. Now he had a great year. He was a comeback player of the year. Right. He was. It was. It, the, and they didn't pay him a lot of money. He was an affordable contract. So when I saw the contract, it made sense why the Knicks gave him that contract because he wanted to be a Nick for the long haul. But I, I knew there was something about him that he just wasn't a team player. He was never a team player when he played for the, the Pelicans, people said. Okay? That's Anthony Davis, I heard. Him and Anthony Davis weren't getting along. So uh, I'm not surprised about this. Even last last year when, when R.J. Barrett took over for the team, he was upset about that because he thought he was the best player on the team when he's not. Right. So 
I think this is RJ's team. I think the Knicks have made it pretty obvious that that's where they're going. They're moving to. If they were going to fall short with Donovan Mitchell, because it would have been Donovan's team. Of course. Now it's now and now Donovan Mitchell in three years could be. You know, he can opt out of his fourth year. He'll be twenty eight, going to be twenty nine. They could still get the Donovan Mitchell in his prime. I I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. You know, but it's very interesting to see where the Knicks are and where they think they are as an organization. I, I just, I'm very surprised about all this. But yeah. um, they're stuck in a very weird in-between right now that they are going to have to figure out. Going to baseball with the Mets and the Yankees and throughout the major leagues. Okay, first of all, the Yankees, I don't know what's going on with them. I, I don't know what's going on with that lineup. That lineup has been horrible. Really, since the second half of the season, DJ LeMayu has completely lost it. I, I I don't know what happened to him. This is this was one of the best hitters in baseball, and I don't know what. Maybe Aaron Boone touched him. I don't know. They got a new hitting coach. Maybe he had something to do with that. I would something happened to yeah. him because he is not hitting. John Carlos Stanton. I expected this to happen coming back from an injury. It usually takes him a month to get hot again. I think he got hurt again too. Yeah. When he gets hot. And I, he usually gets hot at the end of the season. I expect him to be very strong in the playoffs. I do, if the Yankees make the playoffs again. But right now, it looks like they're, you know, there's still five games, you know, up on, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays. But it, it's it's getting scary because they still have to play the Rays again, and they have they have two games to make up at the end of the season with the Rays. Oh, okay, wow, yeah, that's five so, games total then. So they have five games total against the Rays, and they're only five games ahead of the Rays. So that that's the scary part. And the Rays could actually win the division at the end of the season. Wow. Yeah, that would be something if that was the case. Because so, the, if the Yankees, the next series with the Rays is this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So if they lose two out of three, their division lead. Well, it's going to be in, you know, obviously Yankee, Yankee Stadium. Stadium yep. So it, there's an advantage there, even though the Yankees haven't played well in Yankee Stadium in the second half. Uh, they were one of the best home teams in the MLB. They were the best home team in the MLB before the All-Star break. I don't know what is up with them. They lost Andrew Benatendi. He he broke his wrist. He could be out for the, the three weeks. They said he had surgery. Uh, it was a small, uh, was a small, it was a small tear in his wrist. So uh, it, it is a, a wrist injury that he could come back in two to three weeks. Uh, he had the surgery the day after this happened. It was a freak accident. Uh, who would have thought that to happen? But even Andrew Benatendi, since he's come to the Yankees since the trade, he's been hitting 256, and he has 15 or 14 RBIs. For a guy that was, you know, when he was traded, he was batting three 320 or three 315. He was one. He had one of the best. Yeah, batting he was the second best batting average in the National in, League, in, or American, in the American League. American League. He had time. one of the best batting averages in all of baseball. And he kind of fell off a couple of points. I mean, he was before he got hurt. He was thinking he was batting three hundred five, but since he's been a Yankee, he's been batting two fifty five. It, it, that's not good, okay. And, and and that's what scares me about the Yankees. And by the way, Tampa won again today, so they're four, the Yankees are four and a half yep. over Tampa Bay. So I, I mean, and Toronto's still winning. They're six games behind, uh, and Baltimore too. 
even though Baltimore's nine and a half, I mean, there's still, what, 22 games left, 23 games left? Yeah, the Orioles are right now the first team out of the playoffs, but still have a winning record right now. I think they're right on the cusp of the 70 games. They just got swept yesterday by Toronto in a doubleheader, but they're still going to be a tough out because they're getting a lot of prospects getting called up, and they're one of the teams that benefits with the September call-ups, too, with the expanded rosters because of how deep their farm system is. I mean, if you look at what's going on in the American League, I, I think you know right now what's going to happen. I mean, three out of the three out of the teams in the American League East is making the playoffs. Right. I think Tampa and Toronto and the Yankees are going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I think Toronto. I think Baltimore will fall short. Mm-hmm. But they could. Uh, they could actually, out of all the teams, actually squeak into the playoffs too. Four out of the five teams. But I don't think. I think they're going to fall short. But it's almost a guarantee that the Yankees, Tampa, and Toronto are making the playoffs. Cleveland and Minnesota, I'm very surprised that, you know, going into the second half, Chicago has not played better. They've had their streaks, but not been able to maintain it. They're 68 and 67. Some people thought they were a 100 win team. I, I, I loved them at the start of the season. Not 100 wins, but I did love them at the start of the season. I, I predicted they were going to win 95 to 100. Yeah, and I, they're still in it right now, but they're really just. They're not making the playoffs. It's just muddy with them. Now, the thing with them is. Tony LaRusso is going to get fired. Well, he's year. he's also right now out, actually, with a health condition, yep. too. So they actually have an interim manager in right now that they won the. I think they won the first series with him there. He's going to be fired after. Kind of yeah. maintaining 500. So they haven't had that big streak yet that they have that they've been waiting on where they've had a couple in bunches but the uh, the Guardians also have never gone like too badly cold yet either where I think they lost a series to the Orioles but that was really it recently and they're waiting for that the Twins have had their hot stretch and their cold stretch they've been kind of uber streaky but nothing really significant to take that over now the White Sox are still going to get some talent back but the, again, the Guardians are much more depth with their farm system, too, where they're going to benefit more on the September calls because the White Sox farm system's all up already. So they don't really have much young talent to look forward to. Seattle so. is the team that really scares me the most out of all the teams that could squeak into the playoffs. Seattle has the most depth when it comes to their rotation. They have a good bullpen, and they have a very good young lineup, and they've mm-hmm. looked even better in the second half. Now that Rodriguez is back, I mean – this is this is as good as a lineup in in the whole American League right now. And Houston, yes, they they've been very surprised, very surprising because even with Verlander out of that rotation, this rotation is as good as any rotation in baseball. As a, as a matter of fact, this has been the second best rotation in the second half. Mm-hmm. So this is a very good rotation. They they called up their young phenom, who a lot of people believe they called him up because. Uh, they're going to use them in the playoffs against the Yankees or one of those teams where they haven't seen him enough, where he's going to be on a mound. And, and, you know, when you haven't seen a p- picture enough, you don't have a much on, you don't have enough on him. To, so that's those are those are the pitches you're not going to be able to Which hit. Against. The same thing they did with Lance McCullers in yes. 2017. And yes. that's why the Yankees had trouble hitting him, too, in that series. So and I, I would agree with you, Carl. I think the White Sox are garbage. I think they're done. But um it's Houston, Seattle, definitely. I would say Cleveland's going to squeak in because of their rotation. They have a very good rotation. I mean, fantastic rotation. And their bullpen has played very well in the second half. Uh, the Yankees, Tampa, and Toronto. Those are the teams. 
Yeah, it looks like the Ray, the Rays too are also gaining with the run differential too. Their offense finally getting it going too, where that's going to be a tough thing for teams to be able to handle. Seattle, if they get enough of this offensive talent to go along with their pitching in the playoffs, could be that other sleeper too. Now, again, inexperience, we'll see if that matters, but I never hold that against a team because a lot of times they're going in with less pressure because of that too. Seattle's not going to be a team. The, the, the pressure was on them to go, come through in the second half because they've always had second half collapses in the past too, and that's why they have the long longest playoff drought in baseball right now, not making it since that 0-1 season where they won 116 games. So, But they're overcoming that. They took four out of six in two series with the Yankees. They, uh, the, only se- the only series I think they got swept in was the Houston series, and then they, I think they've won every other series or split in the second half. And, and by the way, Josh Donaldson needs to shut his mouth. Josh Donaldson has been a problem for the New York Yankees all season long with his mouth. Uh, I remember against the Chicago White Sox, the racist things oh, that have Tim come out Anderson, of his mouth. Yeah. And then the, the series against Tampa, obviously uh, the benches, uh, you know, they, they came out and they were fighting with each other. Josh Donaldson had everybody's ear throughout that series against Tampa. You saw him opening his mouth, in, uh, you know, on, in the benches. And, and that's why there was a, brent, a bench brawl. This is a man that hasn't had a good season. And this is a guy that speaks when when he hits, he, he likes to open his mouth. When he doesn't hit, he shuts his mouth. He's had, I think, I, I think in the last seven games, he's had five errors. He's been horrible. And, and this is a man that shouldn't be opening his mouth. I, I, I don't understand why this man, who has been a complete bust, and I like Josh Donaldson. I like the, the trade. You loved that trade at the time. I, I did. remember that. I did. I liked the trade. I thought he was going to fit very well with the Yankees in the middle of that lineup, in the middle of... You know, guys like Aaron Judge and John Carlo Stan, two guys that were, you know, obviously John Carlo won an MVP. Judge should have been an MVP, and he's going to be an MVP. And Josh Donaldson was the MVP in 2017. You have all 15. these different, whatever. They, they, had, they had all these MVPs on this team and hitting champions and batting yeah. champions and all that other stuff. Why aren't they hitting? Why aren't they hitting? The only person that's hitting in that lineup is Aaron Judge. By the way, congratulations to Aaron Judge. He is the fourth fastest player to hit 54 home runs. Wow. It's it's unbelievable. And even if he doesn't break Roger Maris's record, because if he does, he'll be the only one that's broken that record that he wasn't cheating. But I don't care if he was, because I think steroids should be allowed. But nevertheless... If he breaks Roger, he'd be the first person to break Roger Maris's And record. he should, as long as he stays healthy. There's 27 games left for the Yankees, and he needs eight home runs to do it. So he should be able to, barring injury. And it'll be a lot of pressure when he hits 61. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of pressure on him Absolutely. because, you know, you're going to go down as the greatest home run hitter in baseball history. You'll be the greatest Yankee home run hitter from Babe Ruth to all the greats, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, all the guys. And including Roger Maris that broke the record on the Yankees. Right. And the remember, not Kansas City. Yeah, and remember the Roger in the Roger Maris season too. The pressure came after he didn't couldn't do it in I, I forget the exact terminology of the way the series were laid out for the Yankees at the end of that season. He couldn't do it against the easier team and ended up doing it against the remember, harder team. So remember the year that he had that home run record, he the year before he was in Kansas City and he won yep. the MVP that Correct. year. Correct. And then he was traded then he he was traded to the Yankees. And then he won the, you know, he, he hit the home runs. He hit the 61 home runs that year. And, and won, I think he won the MVP that year, yep. too. So we went back-to-back MVPs, and, and the Yankees practically bought him. You know, so I don't know 
what's going to happen, but it's been a fantastic year for for Aaron Aaron Judge. And by the way, Aaron Judge to me is the MVP of the league. Easily. He, I do. And well, Otani's had a great season. Otani's, yeah, Ota- Otani would be a very, it's a strong year again for him. But I, Aaron, Aaron Judge's year with a 1.085 OPS and 54 home runs is going to be very difficult. I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things like last year, like you feel bad for the runner ups, and Otani's going to be in that position this year too. But Aaron Judge is easily the MVP. I mean, unless he completely dies down. Yeah, it would take a lot, though. I, I, and again, you don't have to see for that or an injury. Like, again, it would be very hard. But even so, Otani has a lot to catch up to, even if that's the case. The so. amount of money this man's going to make in the offseason, it's, it's crazy. If he hits 61, 62 home runs and he breaks the record, you're talking about $300 million this guy's going to make. He's going to make the money. And it's not going to be the Yankees. There's no way the Yankees are going to be able to afford another $300 million player. Mm-hmm. They're just not. I, I feel bad because, you know, as a Yankee fan, you, you, you want to see your homegrown player stay and, and, and finish out his career with the Yankees. But he's not. He's the fastest player in Major League history to hit 200 home runs. Fastest. Even though he's not going to he'll be it'll be very lucky if he hits 500 home runs in his career because he started so late. But, I mean, he's he's the, this year he, he, he broke he hit 200 home runs faster than any player in history. And this year he's going to have like 140 RBIs, 50 home runs, 50, uh, 60. If he hits 62 home runs, I mean, he, he didn't strike out a lot for a guy that has all the power. I think 147 times so far. That's not a lot for a guy that's batting 302. 80 walks, which is a good a good number. Even 15 stolen bases, too, for a guy that's as big as him is very impressive, too. And he's a gold glove center fielder right. this year. He's going to win the gold glove this year. Which is why I think that contributes to the value for the ones that are saying Otani this year for MVP. Otani doesn't play enough defense in order to make that kind of thing work because he's mostly the DH and then he's also the pitcher. Now, he's a good fielder as a pitcher, too. But uh, Carlos says crazy stats for Otani. He leads the Angels in all hitting and pitching categories. Mm-hmm. Now, Otani's pitching numbers are actually better than they were last yep. year. 2.580 ERA. He has the best strikeout oh, rate. Oh, his pitching has been much better. He has the year. best strikeout rate per nine innings of 12 per game in or 12 per nine innings this year, 181 total strikeouts. But his hitting numbers aren't the same as what they were last year. Remember, he also stole 26 bases last year, too. He only has 11 this year. So comparatively to that, he's dropped off in those areas where he had 46 home runs last year, 32. Now he could still get to 40 in the I think final he had six games with 10, 10 or more strikeouts, I think, this year or something yeah. like that. Uh-huh. And again, that's going to contribute to a heavy strikeout rate when it comes to 181 strikeouts, just 33 walks. Whereas last year, he, had, he finished the year with 156 and had 44 walks. So definitely much more. His ERA has gone down to uh, uh, six-tenths of a point, too. So his pitching numbers are there. It's just the hitting numbers where you have 14 less home runs right now. Now, his batting average a little bit better, but his on-base percentage and OPS is worse. And his OPS is about 70 points worse, which is not going to bode well when it comes to comparing the MVP seasons in that regard. So that's why I would still give Judge the advantage. And it's going to take a lot for Otani to catch up, even if Judge does get hurt. Mm. So it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. As far as, you know, the whole league is concerned, the National League is is interesting more than anything because uh, the Mets, their last 10 games have been horrible. I I mean, they have not looked good offensively. They're they're in the Yankees' drought. They're not getting enough runs. They're not hitting enough. Uh, Pete Alonso went cold. I mean – this roster, when, when they go cold, they go cold. Lindor hasn't really been hitting. So in the last 10 games, they're 5-5. Five and five. They've lost three in a row. Uh, Atlanta is a half a game out of first place. Yeah. 
And if you're a Met fan and somehow Atlanta takes over, you know, the NL East, I mean, that should worry you because Atlanta and I and I didn't think Atlanta was going to catch the Mets. I didn't. I thought the Mets with that pitching stuff, losing Scherzer and Scherzer says that he's all right and stuff like that. But him taking himself out of the game the way he did. That should worry you. That's what happened in his first injury, too. and He had to take himself out right away. Now, he claims he's only going to miss one start. I don't know how much I would buy that, but... Again, I think he'll miss one start, but I, I don't know if he's 100% but, healthy. Yeah, he's I, definitely going to miss one start, but he, again, there's also think, thinking that he might skip him again or give him an extra day of rest or something like that, too, which might be tougher if the Braves continue to stay as high as they are. And the Braves are doing what the Mets haven't been doing, which is being the, the weaker teams that they're supposed to. They just swept the Marlins over the weekend. Meanwhile, the Mets... Lost two out of three against the Nationals, getting blown out in the last two games, which is not ideal. And now they just got blown out tonight by the Pirates. And St. Louis ideal. keeps winning. They're eight and two. I, I, I mean, the Dodgers are just phenomenal. They're just even though they're five and five in their last ten games, they're phenomenal. Ninety-two and forty-two. I mean, they're they're going to have the best record in all of baseball. Uh, they're going to go into the playoffs with home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Wow, you want to hear this? 291 run differential. It's ridiculous. I don't know if I ever saw it that big. I mean, going into the second half, uh, going into the first half, the Yankees were over 200. The Yankees were about. I think now they, they're yeah. plus 189, which is the second best in the right. league. I think the Yankees at that time were were 219 or something. And the Dodgers were the only team that had a one that was close to the Yankees. I think they were at like 185 or something like that. Now the Dodgers are 291. It's hard, but the Yankees haven't been hitting. Right, they really haven't, and. It's amazing where the Yankees are right now, being that the month of August was like, I think they won like six games in the month of August. Right. It's horrible. You can't do that in baseball. Not in the second half when you're, you're trying to win a pennant. But I, the Dodgers, I mean, San Diego, I, for some reason, I think if San Diego gets into the playoffs, they're going to be scary I good. I agree with that. They're going to be scary good. Hater is not this bad. Nope. He's not. And I... I, I could see his faces, you know, his face that he makes every time he, he, he loses a save. And he's done it. But for some reason, I think that this roster is much better than it's shown. And when they, they get into the playoffs, I know the Statiste singers really hurt them. But they're too good. Bell, Soto, I, I, I mean, Machado. I mean, this, this lineup is stacked from top to bottom. This roster, they... They practically made the trades that they made. They gave up a lot of their young stars, uh, their young players in their farm system, one of the best farm systems in baseball, for Soto because they thought that Soto was going to be the missing piece to help them get over the hump against the Dodgers, right. against the Mets, against the teams that have good pitching staffs. That he, He's done it in the playoffs before. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're banking on. When they trade all that, you're going to be banking on that kind of thing for a Hart. team that's very inexperienced. Hader was a good playoff pitcher, too, yeah. I mean, for the Milwaukee uh, Brewers. Right. He had that one blown save yeah. against – or not blown save, blown eighth inning against the yep. Nationals of the one-game playoff. That was the only downside for that. The Braves rattled him a little last year, but he battled. And... I think the most dangerous team out of all the teams is the Cardinals because of just who they are. Yep. It's just who Those they pesky are. pesky team. That pesky team that has a, a re-sparked pitching staff it's right unbelievable. now. Miles Michaelis, who everyone thought was done, has had a nice year this Wayne year. Wainwright, this seems Wayne like Wright, he never yep. gets old. I mean, 
you get Montgomery, he turns into the next thing since Verlander. I mean, like, come on, come on. I mean, all these guys, they they show up and they they turn these pitchers into stars. They really do. Yeah. Now, the only thing that's a little concerning with the Cardinals is lineup. Not not necessarily that. I, I'm their manager being a rookie manager might be the only thing. I don't think that makes a difference. It doesn't as much in today's game because of the analytics. But you, you wonder if that kind of thing if they get outsmarted by by a, Goldschmidt has never been a good playoff player. Every time he made an Arenado, we all know has not been a good playoff player. No. So <laughs> I, I mean, these two guys who uh, two of the best in baseball and probably going to be one and two in the MVP voting in the National League. Uh, I think Goldschmidt is the MVP of the National League, but yeah, of course, um, I, both these guys have not hit in the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they're just not good playoff players, so they got to show up in the playoffs and actually do it. Um, but again, you're playing for the Cardinals now. You're not playing for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and you're not playing for the Colorado Rockies. Right. I was going to say Goldschmidt's playoff sample is not exactly one to judge because he never stays healthy. Because you got to realize the Diamondbacks only made it in 2017. They played the one game playoff against the Rockies where they won, and then they played against the Dodgers, whose pitching staff is loaded. So it's a very small sample to trust with that. Arenado did well in. Arenado did well towards the end of the last season for the Cardinals, but beyond that, his playoff experience was also very limited. Where they had that, the the Rockies hung tough against the Brewers, but it was mostly because, oddly enough, mostly because of their pitching. As and it's a, it's amazing, it's amazing what the record the Braves have since the second half of the season. It's it's unbelievable. It's like this is a completely different team. It's like a completely different team. Yeah, and it, they are dangerous because they are the World Series champions. They're not much worse than they were last year. As a matter of fact, I think they're better. They're better in some areas, yeah. They, they're better. They, they, first of all, they have Ronald Acuna, who's healthy. That, that by itself is – he's the best – besides Mike Trout, he's the best center fielder in baseball. It's not even an argument. And they're going to get their star uh, second baseman back in Albies. Mm-hmm. He'll, be be, he'll be ready for the playoffs. They have one of the more underrated shortstops in the league. I mean, this this roster is great. They even have a great catcher too. Yep. I mean, and, and their rotation, which started off really really crummy in the beginning of the season, they've really their ERA in the last two months have been one of the best in the league. Well, yeah, it was unexpected guys that came through for them. That's why what the Braves expected rotation was supposed to be in terms of who was going to be the better pitchers is a little different. Now, Max Fried's still doing great. Like everyone expected that, but he's their best pitcher. He's easily their best pitcher, but Kyle Wright, who was a guy that was mostly in the bullpen, was a top prospect a couple years ago. He's finding his groove now, and Spencer Strider was the one that's unexpected. Strider's awesome. Yeah, he was the one, but he wasn't supposed to come up this year. He was the one that was unexpected and really has blossomed for them right away. Way. But he was one of their top pros- pitching prospects. Not not at the start of the season. No. He merged into it later, and he, once he came up, like it was still kind of the, even the Braves fans were thinking, "Oh, this is going to be early for them because they had all those pitching injuries that kind of rushed the guy up." And he's been he hasn't looked back since then. He hasn't even thought of him as a give up his spot because he's pitched so well. That's how amazing Strider has been and consistent too. Yeah, again, he's had really two bad starts, I think, so far in his career. And I'm not saying every start is Cy Young worthy, but he's at least been steadily consistent for a brave team that's needed that. And then they got better at the deadline, getting Odorizzi, getting even more depth. They swapped Will Smith for him with the Astros, and that's going to help, too. And the Braves have always never been afraid to use their starters out of the bullpen in the playoffs. No, they've been fun to watch. And and, and they're, them and the Cardinals are the teams that I would watch going into the playoffs because – uh, the Braves, they didn't lose much in the offseason. They did lose Freeman. I, I understand right. that he wanted to stay with the, the Atlanta Braves, but um, their first baseman's had a pretty good season, too. So it, it, it's 
maybe not Freeman like where he's Freeman's hitting three fifteen or three ten right. right now, but uh, they're getting the power that they need in that lineup from him. They're getting the they're getting the RBIs and the runs that they need from him. So the, the Braves have been fantastic. They really have, and I. I think they're dangerous just as much as the Cardinals. The other teams, like the Dodgers, the Mets, I, I something tells me that the Dodgers going into this the playoffs, their rotation is much worse than it was last year. They lost Bueller, who's their best pitcher. They lost their other young player that had very good uh, promise, uh, you know, in, over the last couple of months. Who, who's the pitcher, the young pitcher that they lost? They, lo- they lost Arias for a little bit, but he came back. Now he's pitching well. No, the the other pitcher, not the Arias. There was another pitcher that they lost. Oh, uh, Dustin May. Yeah, May. Right. Yeah. yeah. I so. think he's back now, but we'll see if he eases back into what he became because Dustin May is coming off of another major injury, too, even before he came up with the Dodgers. Yeah. Now, the Dodgers do have a couple overperformers this year. That's what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, uh, that they know how to rebirth players or make them better than they ever were. It's now a Tony Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson, yeah. and yes, Yankee fans, Andrew Haney, <laughs> that have done well in those Dodgers players. Well, now, will they do well in the playoffs is another question. Now, Anderson did do well with the Brewers in 2018 in a smaller role. Gonsolin, I don't know how much he's pitched with the Dodgers. If he did, it was a kind of a limited role. And Andrew Haney, I don't think he was even on the Yankees playoff rotation or roster last year. So if they want to put him in higher leverage situation, it's going to be interesting. Now, the Dodgers, sometimes their bigger pitchers have done worse in the playoffs and vice versa. It's never really been a big quota for them, but still, that doesn't mean they win every year either. I got a complete headache when I when I think about baseball right now because uh, baseball has uh, less than a month left of the season and you're, anything could happen in the American League and National League. And it's so besides the Dodgers and probably the Astros, each division is open to lose. Yeah. Each and every one of those divisions. I mean, the Cardinals... They could lose their division. I mean, Milwaukee, actually, could the corner well? It's going to be hard. Milwaukee's got to find some hitting. They've really been a bad hitting slump in the second half of the season. No, nah, Milwaukee so, can't win that division. I don't think they nah, will either. They're eight games out, so Milwaukee can't win. So maybe St. Louis and the Dodgers are the only two teams that are a sure thing in the National League. As far as the American League, Houston. That's it. That's it. I mean... It used to be Houston and the Yankees, but what's happened in the second half for the Yankees has just been just appalling. It, mm-hmm. It's just a, if you're a Yankee fan, I mean the Yankees are four and six in their last ten games, and they won their last two games. Yep. So that's that they were two and they were two and six going into the last two games. So this is this has not been very good, and and they got to win more games. They're better than the Twins. They're better than the Twins, of course. And I think are they in Minnesota? No, they're in they're Yankee, at Yankee Stadium. Stadium. The game was postponed tonight. So they're are they playing a doubleheader tomorrow? They're doing a doubleheader tomorrow. Yeah. They need to win both games. They need to win both games tomorrow. Who's on the mound for the Yankees tomorrow? I'm trying to find that out now because obviously with the doubleheaders, things. I mean, Garrett Cole might be on the mound. Was he on the mound the other day? Herman uh, has game one. Yep, Garrett Cole is game two. So, I, I, Garrett Cole must be a win. That has to be a win. Your best pitcher needs to win. And he's 10 and 7 this year. His ERA is 320 something. 328, yeah. Yeah, he he's not he's not been the pitcher that he, he leads the league in strikeouts. That's great. But that doesn't help the Yankees when they need to win the game. So, he needs to go out there and he needs to win that game uh, uh, at night. And if Armand could pull off that win against Minnesota early, I mean, you win two, you know, three out of the four games against Minnesota. At least there's something, something to be said over there. Because you have, you have Tampa over the weekend. 
And you don't want to go against Tampa again when you're only four and a half or four games over Tampa and you have three game stands against Tampa again. Mm-hmm. Where they could, and Tampa's playing against the Red Sox, too. They could beat up on as well. I don't know. The Red Sox, they're a hit and miss. You just don't know. Divisional games, you just don't know. Well, of course, them. but I'm just still. like you, On paper, the Twins have been a better team this year. Not by much. The Red Sox, 67 and 70. The Twins, 60 and 65. So it's not by much. But still, they're actually playing for something. The Red Sox are trying to play for just roster Herman pitched very well the, his last game. They lost that game but he against Tampa, but he, he pitched very well. So I expect him to go out there and... And, and do it again. Uh, he is playing against a team that is a little bit more um, inferior to the Tampa Bay bucket, uh, t- Tampa Bay Twins. I mean, Rays. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> Tampa Bay Twins. Shows you how tired I am. Twelve o'clock in the night, but uh, it's it's tiring. But anyways, uh, we will be back on Thursday. I'd like to thank John Glennon for joining us uh, from Sports Illustrated, Fan Nation, Titans writer. He's he's fantastic. He really was, and he enjoyed coming on the show. We'll definitely get him on again. Um, hopefully we get our, our, our co-founder, uh, Chris Lombardi on our show. Uh, hopefully soon. next week. We'll see. He said he could do it, but we'll see. Uh, he also said he could do it this week and then we'll, we'll see. So we'll see. He wanted to come on. So I know he does want to come on. He definitely so, does. So we'll get him on. And, uh, uh, hopefully on Thursday we have the beef. Cause yeah. uh, uh, I, I want the beef to come in and, uh, so we could roast him on why the Cowboys won't make the playoffs. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, he, he <laughs> predicted the that the Cowboys will win 10 to 11 games. Uh-huh. That's what he said. That's right. So I want to see the Cowboys win 10 or 11 games. I, I, they have an easy schedule, but I, if there's something that tells me they're not going to win every game against the Giants. They're not going to win every game against the Commanders. They're not going to win both games against the Eagles. So I, I think they get swept by the Eagles. So um, it's going to be interesting to hear what the Beeve has to say. I'm going to try to get him in the studio, at least for the first hour, hour and a half, to talk a little. Uh, Who do we have on? Nothing planned yet. We'll see if I get it. I've reached out to a lot of NFL people, but the season's starting, so maybe everyone's busy. We'll see who we get right now. All right. Hopefully we get John Daigle. I did ask him, but he hasn't responded yet, so we'll see. All right. Well, John loves coming on the show, so we'll we'll get him on one of these days, too. Definitely Um, during the season, for sure. Well, that's it for our show. Uh, Again, thank you to all the fans that – Tune in every single week. Listen to us on all our different platforms. We're on like 14 platforms. Uh, So we really appreciate all the uh, support that you guys give us throughout the weeks. Shout out to Trey's show, uh, The Wise Guys, all the shows. Also, I want to give a shout out to CJ DeSimone, who uh, decided to step down from um, his jet show. um, Weapons Hot. Weapons Hot. I'm sorry. I'm I'm tired, like I said. But... um, I have a lot of respect for C.J. DeSimone, uh, a guy that's worked really, really hard, uh, you know, building his show and building his fan base, uh, a guy that's, you know, very well respected in the Jets, you know, in the Jets, I, I guess, uh, all the fans that, you know, know Jets and follow Jets sports and Jets podcast love C.J. DeSimone. Um, so he will be missed. Uh, he decided to step down. Kevin Jackson will be taking over full time. Uh, for the show every Monday. I think it's Monday, right? Yeah, he's gonna, he's negotiated with his guys now. I don't know if they're going to change the time or anything like that, but okay. Kevin Jackson is going to be hosting whatever. And he's they're not doing Weapons Hot. They're, he's going to do a different name so, okay, altogether. Good. But yes, Kevin Jackson will still be with us. Uh, yeah, but uh, yes, CJ, uh, thank you for being a great part of this network yeah. as well. Uh, I know he's been going through a lot too, which is a big reason that uh, a lot of family stuff that he's been dealing with. So it's a lot, uh, very hard for him to do what he has to do. So wishing I, you everything I, the I best, know, CJ. I know. I know he was very upset about it, and yeah. uh, it's not something that somebody likes to do when you walk away from something like this, especially when you have the yeah. heart and, 
and the foundation of, of the industry that you've built over the years. And uh, to walk away from something like this, I, you know, I, I understand. I understand. Look, right. I do a show from nine to twelve. I'm beat nine to twelve. I do it for the fans. You know, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, we're moving the shows. Um, next week, are we? Next doing week, it? you told me is what you Wednesday. Told me. Okay. Next Wednesday, we're going to be moving our show seven to ten, and then and then obviously on Thursday we'll do the nine to twelve. We're not going to be doing nine to twelves on Tuesdays anymore. So uh, the reason why we're doing this is we're giving the, the younger fans that want to listen in, tune in because they have high school or they're in, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade. I've heard from different parents. They want to hear the show. They want to listen to the show. They can't listen at 9 to 12. So we're trying to make it a little bit earlier for the younger fans that want to tune in and listen to us uh, from 7 to 10. So uh, we're, we're going to see how that works out in, in the next couple of weeks and, and throughout the winter and throughout the uh, football season. But um, happy uh, for all the fans that keep tuning in into us. So shout out to CJ again. Uh, keep uh, you know keep your head up, man, and uh, we'll hear from you again. It's, yeah. it's definitely not you're not out over for him to to keep listening and being a part of you know filling in here and there. But uh, it's a shame. But anyways, that's it. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.